the Piscatorial Podcast. This week's weather has been like perfect carpy conditions, really, um, with a big southwesterly coming in. I yeah, I, I, sort of... I, I stepped outside on Sunday and we've got like 55 mile an hour winds or something. And it was the first time this year that I walked outside and I sort of like, I, I could feel it. I, I, I was like, oh, carp. Like I need, I need to go carp fishing. It was literally the first time that I had the urge properly. Because before yeah. that, we just had these horrible easterly winds and I just, you know, I'd have such a full-on winter. Yeah. I was just kind of recharging my batteries and I haven't really had the urge to get out. But when I, when I, well, I could hear the wind in the trees and it just, it reminds you of all them good sessions. You think, oh, I can't need to go fishing here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a big believer in a new wind. It doesn't necessarily have to be a new warm wind, but a warm wind is always better. But I think even a a new cold wind, if we've had a a, a southwesterly for weeks and weeks, a new cold one coming in, big one, that can produce as well. Um, There's a lot of believers and like non-believers of the old wind. What's your sort of view on it? I find venues respond differently to, to different winds. You get some venues where literally any new wind, you've got to you've got to fish. You've just got to get involved. Linear used to be a perfect example of it. You'd ring Roy Parsons and he'd be like, "Don't bother coming, mate. There's no wind." And if, if you rang him, and you, you could sometimes you'd ring him, you could hear the wind in those big trees at Linear. You could hear it in the background and you were just like, you'd just be like, you know, are you on your way? And when are you getting here? <laughs> but then I fish places where unless it's like a, a bang on warm westerly or something, the lake is just completely soulless. Yeah. Have you ever found, do you find, because I always find it doesn't really affect the smaller waters as well? Um, to some extent, yeah. <laughs> I think if you're if you've got some really carpy conditions, I mean like big southerlies, the the kind where you're in your bivy sort of thinking, I hope nothing falls down. In in those conditions, I found small venues switch on first, and it seems to be the same every spring. Like we've just had this real big weather front come through, big winds, you know, it's really sort of shook the fish up a little bit. Everybody I know who's fishing a small venue has had it off. Everybody I know who's on a big venue, one guy's had it off. Right, okay. So it's a, it's a bit more spread out evenly on a small venue. They tend to, yeah. especially in the spring, that first, not if it doesn't, like I say, it doesn't even need to be that warm. Just mm. that first wind from the right direction just livens them all up. I know yeah. um, we, I've spent a lot of winters on the bank on small venues for carp. I don't do it anymore. Um, but I used to spend a lot of time, used to fish Rob Hughes' like Birchwood, which is only small, um, fishing places like Western Park, which is not a big lake at all, it, it's small and shallow. And if you've got those, you know, like double figure air temperatures, they just switch on so fast. And it's yeah. like fishing in the middle of spring, yeah. only, only you've got more layers on. Yeah, yeah I think, that big southwesterly coming in, looking at the long forecast as well, we've seen the end of the frosts now. Um, it looks like it's going to be some much better weather coming in. So hopefully everything starts waking up. And because the, the trees around here still look bare, I'm driving down the road today, look at them, they're all brown. There's barely any, any leaves on them and stuff. So anyway, 
Matt Woods, welcome to the Piscatorial Podcast. Uh, first of all, props to the t-shirt. It's repping the Fanta gear. God what a legend. Man. Yeah. Do <laughs> you know, I've worn this loads. I yeah. I've worn it absolutely loads and just sent it, yeah. Oh, it's, glad, um, mate. Because, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm quite supportive of what you and your mates are doing with, with Fanta. I think it's ace. I think course fishing needs things like this podcast, um, like what you guys do on social media. Because otherwise, it's just the same old elder statesman doing the same old things and talking about the same old stuff. Yeah. You know, you see it in carp fishing. Carp fishing's ahead of the curve with, with all this sort of online media stuff. Um, law fishing's getting there. You know, there's a bit more going on. In the UK, there's a bit more going on with podcasts with people like Adam Jones, you know, really good anglers and, and good conversationalists. Mm-hmm. Um, but in course fishing, there's not really anything like it yet, is there? No, no, there's definitely, I think, a gap there, and it's definitely getting more popular. I get quite a bit of feedback from people who are like, I've never been out targeting bream, never thought of doing it, but can I get some advice? Or, do you know, oh, I see them cracking rudge you had the other week. I fancy a bit of that. Like, I'm not going to give them the secret honey holes, but um, I've, I've definitely uh, do my best to help. It's nice to see that, you know, the word influencer gets thrown around so much, but actually legitimately we influence people to go out and do it and and continue to sport and enjoy themselves so that's good but so you're the um product manager of quorum i'm the brand manager which is brand i suppose a little bit more in depth than just working on um product development but obviously the the product choice and development occupies a lot of that role you know so from a from a working perspective, the majority of my week is spent, you know, knee deep in, in product, in fishing tackle, if talking about it, thinking about it, sending a million emails off to suppliers all around the world to, to try and get what you want. Um, yeah. And as you know, I, I quite like consultation. Mm. I'm, I'm on WhatsApp like with my whole life, yeah. messaging people whose opinion I value. And I like to bang, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these product guys who sits there and thinks about these amazing ideas like a crazy profession in the shed. That's, yeah. not, that's not me, but I do listen, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a good talker, but I also like to think I'm a good listener. And I like yeah. to surround myself with people who I can bounce off and just say, what, you know, what do you think about it? Does that look any good? Is that cool? Yeah. And quite often you'll show somebody an idea or a thought that's kicking around and you ask the right person and all of a sudden you end up with a killer product. Yeah. So how did you sort of uh, stumble into that career? <laughs> well, um, I was a journalist. So when I, when I left college, I, I, I went and did my journalism training um, with the NCTJ, with the Midlands Association. So I was a reporter. It's all I ever wanted to do. All I ever wanted to do was write. Um, Once I got into journalism, you know, I still still do now. I read, I absorb so much content of the written word in all its various forms. I love magazines. I love news. I love politics. I I love the craft of it all. You have a meme. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do love me. And then I, and I, I like, I liked the sort of the the truth seeking element. 
although you know never let the truth get in the way of a good story i'll stand by that as well yeah um it was good to have you know i, I was quite wordy at school yeah you know, I, I, I liked english literature i used to read a lot believe that and you know i used to use all these big words that nobody understood and it was just me being a pretentious young teenager yeah and um, going to journalism college beat that out of me it really did and yeah. you know teach you how to use five words instead of 50. Um, I, I really in, enjoyed that. Um, when I went to go and work at a proper newspaper, you realise how big an entity that is. You know, you've got a, a desk full of reporters, a desk full of sub-editors, a, a news desk separate to that. Then you've got the, like, the editor, chief editor, you've got all the advertising people. It's this massive, big moving animal with so many parts. And I thought that's what I was going to do forever until yeah. one day I opened up, I can't remember if it was Crafty Carper or Carp World, and Joe Wright, there was a, this piece in there from Simon Crow saying, we wish Joe Wright all the best. He's going travelling around the world. But of course he wasn't. He was going yeah. to start Carpology magazine, but they didn't know that. I didn't know that. But I thought, I could do that. So I sent my CV off to Anglo Publications. Um, I went, I went for an interview in Tim Paisley's house <laughs> on my twentieth birthday, which was so, like you know he was he was one of my heroes. He still is now. You know, yeah. Tim is a, is a living legend in every respect of the word. And uh, you know, sitting in his house, he signed his book for me. And uh, you know, I, I drove away from Sheffield. I didn't care if I got the job or not. Just that moment would have been enough. But yeah. as, it was, as it was, I ended up going to work at Anglican Publications. So I started as assistant editor and then ended up being given, you know, a lot more control. I was only I was only young, but a, a bit of an old head on my shoulders. I got quite a lot of experience in what I was doing. And yeah. obviously, I, I loved carp fishing. I was just obsessed with it. I still am now, but I was totally obsessed with it. And I was there for nearly four years. And then I, it was really weird. I started to feel guilty about not being a journalist properly anymore. I didn't, it didn't start to feel not like proper journalism because most of the articles you were writing, you were writing with an angler because that angler was sponsored by somebody who spent money in the magazine. It just felt a bit... Yeah. And an old friend of mine invited me to go and work for a, um, a sort of country lifestyle type magazine back in Shropshire. So yeah. two reasons for moving. I could move back home, see my family. I was moving out. I hated living in a city. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a country boy. I, I can't live in a city. So I was back in Shropshire and back, you know, doing something that I really loved. You know, the, the, there was a lot more craftsmanship to the writing. And, you know, one, one week I'd be interviewing somebody like a rock legend like Robert Plant because he was really into sort of sustainability and, you know, uh, sort of renewable energy and all these kind of things that were going off in Wales at the time. And then the next minute I might be on the phone with Matt Tebbett, the, the TV chef. It was so eclectic and literally every day was different. Yeah. And my fishing became my fishing again. And I started carp fishing places in Shropshire, which Ellis will tell you were difficult. Where you yeah. had 
fewer fish than there were acres. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I really absorbed myself into that kind of fishing because I could. You know, mm-hmm. I, I loved the, the job that I was doing. It wasn't very well paid, but it didn't, I didn't really care. As long as I had enough money to put fuel in the car, buy a, a couple of bags of peanuts and a, and a case of beer and get to the lake, that was fine. Yeah. But then, um, as I said before, I was fishing Rob Hughes's lake quite a bit. And Rob at the time was doing Angling International with John Jones, uh, Shoes, John Shoes mm-hmm. Jones. Well, they were working on Venture Carp. Do you remember Venture? They did the yeah, yeah, back yeah. privy and all that. Well, Shoes is that crazy professor in the shed who's got uh, more ideas than he knows what to do with. I mean, he's, he's one of the best for coming up with something innovative. You know, it's a subjective word that, but he, he, he's got it, that, you know, that edge to think about outside the box. Yeah. And David Preston saw the, the glimmer in John. He'd always wanted to start a car brand, and so he employed John. So, you know, John's now employed by Press Innovations Limited. Um, I'm carrying on doing what I'm doing. John had always been a, a, a fan of my written work, the stuff that I used to do for the country magazine and that kind of thing. He, 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 we, we did quite a lot of articles together when I worked at Crafty as well. And I was fishing at a place, I won't name the lake because the, the locals won't thank me if I do. We're called it <laughs> the, the Abyss. Yeah. I was fishing one day and I, I caught a fish and Shoes came to see me. And he's rummaged around in his pocket and he's shown me a side stop. Remember the original Avid car side stops? Yeah, yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. You know, I'll put one on. Oh, yeah, yeah, that looks cool. And he told me about what was going on and blah, 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 David Preston, all the backstory, you know. Didn't think nothing of it. Next week, I'm there again. I, did, I literally hadn't, at the time, no missus, nothing, you know, no, no, no prospects outside <laughs> what I was already doing. So I was fishing again, and John came to see me again. He's like, I've been speaking to David. How do you fancy coming to work for us? I said, to do what? And he said, just to do what you do, but for us. And, you know, turn it into this media and marketing sort of role. Because at, at the time, Corda, I think, Maybe Fox as well, but I was definitely Corner. They were like the first people to have a dedicated media guy who right. would go out and, and photograph and write features and give them to the magazines for free, other than ready. So I initially started at Avid doing that. Avid, I mean, they hadn't even got a product. There was, no, there was a, a couple of bed chairs they were working on, these side stops and corn stops, and that was about it, really. <laughs> it wasn't yep. even a brand. It's like, oh, just come work for us, you know. Um, and it, I sensed that it was an opportunity that if I passed it up, I would have regretted it. Mm. Um, it was kind of, you know, I did miss being in the industry with, uh, with all the other car anglers sort of thing. Um, so obviously I went back. Um, I was definitely Mr. Suggestion Box those first couple of years. You know, I wasn't afraid yeah. to say what I thought and what direction I thought things needed to go. And um, at the time, Quorum hadn't got anybody solely in charge of it. It was just kind of something that everybody collectively 
gave some input to. So it didn't get that much attention. It had a lot of attention when it was building up. Um, Paul Garner was there shortly before me for about one year or something I was in. When he went, when Coral kind of went away from commercial carp fishing type stuff and went a bit more green, a bit more specialist mm-hmm. specimen fishing. So one, I was at work one day and they asked me, we want you to do Coral. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> what, does that, like, what does that mean? I was like, well, we, we want you to do, get involved, you know, start learning about the product development process. Because, um, you know, I, I have to say this, in them first couple of years, I really had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but fortunately, the, some of the people that work at Preston Innovations, a lot of them are still there today. In fact, most of them are still there today. They're about as good as it gets on the product side. And, yeah. you know, got to work with some really talented, dynamic, innovative people who could just pull it out of you. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I won't lie about it. For, for a few years, I felt really out of my depth. You know, I didn't feel like I was um, doing quorum justice. But, of course, as you go along and, like I say, consultation was great. You got one mouth, two ears for a reason. Just yeah. listening and absorbing from the sales guys, the product guys, the, the consultants. You know, just just going into tackle shops and listing, all of a sudden it started to make a lot more sense. And then that's when it became more of a, a brand manager role where mm-hmm. you're looking at the whole picture, the brand image, the product mix, and all the sort of commercial uh, aspects that are important to the brand. So yeah. I went, oh, I've gone on a bit there, Matt, but it was No, no, it's That good. was a brief history, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's good, mate. And and obviously, there's a lot of people out there. Most anglers, it's their dream to work in the fishing industry. And sometimes I, some of them people could be my friends or whatever, and I think, I don't know, have, have they got... I don't think every angler has got what it takes to work oh. in the industry for two reasons. One, because they haven't got that that drive like that you clearly have and two because i think that it might ruin their fishing as well so obviously you sort of touched on the fact that you got your fishing back when you went back to the the country magazine um are you still now you're you're in the industry again is it is your fishing still all right yeah the the only time when the the lines got really blurred again was um a number of years ago is when John Shoes Jones left the business. I obviously, I, I, I've been with Avid or part of Avid from the beginning. Was starting to prove myself with Cora. You know, they were, they were quite impressed with what I was doing. I got asked to do both brands. Can you do both? Because, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. And in the first year, we had a, we had a lot of fun. Me and Jason Omni, who was doing the media stuff at the time, we had a lot of fun because it was almost like a blank template again. When John left, there were there was like one product in, in on the table in development. There wasn't really anything there. Yeah. Um. So we kind of like had to start again, start from scratch. And you know, my my experience from the media journalism side of things married really well with Jason's because Jason used to work for Telecom. 
So he okay. got it, you know, that, that media and marketing side of thing, he got it probably better than anybody I know on the carp side. He really did understand it. And I think he understood what I was trying to do with Avid and where we were trying to get it to. And at that time, we didn't have anybody to, like, film anything. So our graphic designer at the time, Pete was like, do you, do you reckon you could learn how to film and edit stuff? Yeah, yeah, of course. So <laughs> yeah. we started making, we made it a, a DVD. You know, we'd go out and do these these shoots. And it, everything was planned. And, you know, we, we actually, we were really lucky. You know, I, I think on, on every shoot that, that I was involved in, where I was on the camera as well as sort of directing it, got really lucky with the fish we caught, which helps. Because yeah. all of a sudden... We got momentum. We we created this thing called the Next Level. I don't know if you remember it. That we just ran a we, we just ran an advert called the Next Level, and everyone was like, "What's that? What's the Next Level? What is it?" And then the next product was the Benchmark bed chair. Yeah. In in the bedroom, making it look like it was in the bedroom. It was actually shot in Jason's living room. Yeah. <laughs> but we 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 really wanted to like unplug Avid from the from its quagmire that it was in and give it the the attention it deserved. And we had to really think outside the box. And every advert we did was designed to grab somebody's attention. Like we did we did a rod advert that had a Formula One car in it. Yeah. It had nothing to do with fishing rods, but it was like, how can we how can we make a statement? We, yeah. we launched the bucket stand and in the advert it was full of ice and a champagne yeah. flute. Shot yeah. in a hotel in Telford somewhere, you know. <laughs> Every, everything we were doing was designed to just get somebody to stop and go, yeah. ah, that's the next level. That's what these guys are bringing. Yeah. And as as time wore on, you know, our, our business went through a big jump period at that time. You know, sales were great across all of the brands. Um, I started to get too sidetracked with Avid. I really, I, you know, Corum sort of fell to the back of my mind and it wasn't getting the attention again that it deserves. Um, and Avid, I was sort of blinkered by it. And basically all of my fishing was Avid. It was all about the brand, even in my own fishing, it wasn't about me. It was about Avid and how can I promote Avid today? What could I film or photograph or do to sell more fishing gear and, and, and get people to start taking this brand seriously again? Yeah. And you know, obviously, as you get bigger and you get more personnel, Ant Molyneux came to work for us, who was doing filming full-time. Uh, Adam Firth, who'd been doing the sort of media side of thing for, for Corum, they did all this training so, so they could be self-sufficient filming and editing. And all of a sudden, it just got really big. And, you know, I, I, I'll admit, it was a bit much for me. It was beyond... I couldn't... You couldn't do what you wanted to do for both brands. Yeah. Each brand needed its individual attention from somebody. And um, we had a new boss come back into the business at the time and he sat down with me uh, and he started speaking openly about different things and he's like, which one do you want to do? Because I think you know, and I definitely know, you need to pick. Yeah. And with Corum, I always felt like I could be objective with Corum because I wasn't a Corum specimen angler. My own fishing, my opinion about fishing or how to fish 
never interferes with core and product development, brand development, marketing. It, it just doesn't. But with Avid, it did. I could sit there with somebody with 30 years more car fishing experience than me and tell them they were wrong. Yeah. Which was the wrong, that, that's, you're too close to it then. I, yeah. For me personally, you know, everybody's different, you know, literally everybody who does these kind of roles in the business is telling you a different story and they see it differently. But I, I love fishing. I love it. I'm obsessed by it. Um, I just didn't want fishing to be work. Yeah. That, and it, and it, it comes, you know, a lot of people, like I said before, think, oh, yeah, being a fisherman and, you know, I get to go fishing every day and working in the fishing industry. There's an awful lot of people come into this industry and never fish again. Yeah. We've got certainly got people who work at our place who just, ever since they started working for us, they just don't really go fishing anymore. Yeah. And that's how they deal with it. It becomes a profession rather than a hobby. Whereas yeah. for me, if I'm working on Corum, the two are always separate. And yeah. when I go fishing, I'd never, you know, I'd never think about work ever. Yeah. Totally so you chose, active. you chose Corum and eliminated that sort of conflict of interest. And totally. It up, yeah. Totally. Yeah, and it, it meant that you know I, I could sit there daydreaming about going carp fishing and think about what I was what I was going to do when I was going carp fishing, and none of the products we were working on got anything to do with it. So it was, I could sit with somebody like Gary Knowles and we'd be talking about pipe fishing products. And I know, for a fact, he knows more than me. Yeah. But he also respects that I have to make the commercial decision. And that kind of two-way street, that dialogue that, that I have with all of the Gorham guys in, in, to different levels, um, that's the thing that I really enjoy and how I'm able to balance it out so well. Yeah. It's a good it's a good tactic and Dave Preston was the master at it. Find people who are better than you at it and ask them to do it. <laughs> That's a good bit of advice, <laughs> mate. So so what advice would you give to people who or maybe a warning as well to people who wanted to get into the industry and they're seriously thinking about about doing it themselves? You just being a, a good fisherman is not enough. But it does draw attention. You know, I, I, we're, we're sort of at the stage now where I, I take the uh, Corum's media guy, Rob, is a great example. He was a sponsored angler who was making his own videos. He was literally a walking advert for Corum. I don't think he owned anything that wasn't Corum. You know, yeah. I, I think he used to sit and etch Corum into his toothbrush just so he matched <laughs> everything else, you know. He literally was Mr. Corum. And, you know, he was an impressive young man when I met him. Um, he's from a similar sort of neck of the woods to me. So, you know, we, we, culturally, I guess we're on the same level to some extent. Yeah. And he'd got an eye for stuff. And that was that was kind of, because we, we knew we want, we want to take somebody on. And we're going to teach you how to film and edit and manage the social media and, and all of those kind of things. So yeah. it's more like so you, you've got to have that base, that skills base in the first place. So just living on the bank all the time, I don't think brands are going to come knocking and go, oh, can you be the new Daryl Peck for us? Yeah. It's rare. 
It's not really going to happen. ESP aren't looking for the next Terry Earn. They've already got Terry Earn. So what, they don't want Terry Earn light. They, yeah. Much in the same way that you know, we, we don't want a lesser version of Matt Hayes or John Wilson, you know, because they're, they're up there. They're, you know, they're, they're, that's a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. And so, you know, certainly at the moment, if you look at the really big brands, Fox International, great example, their media team is bigger than most companies' entire team. Right. Now, okay. I think they, they took on like 18 new media people across Europe last year. So if yeah. you want to get into the industry, learn how to take photos, film stuff, edit it, get to groups of social media, build a following, and you'll get noticed. Yeah. And you know, even if it starts just with a sponsorship, so a bit of free tackle or whatever, be be communicative with the brand guys because you'll find a lot of them are like me. They, they're kind of waiting for people to come to them. Because we're so busy. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to every day ring the entire Quorum consultancy team. I would love to ring every salesman at Preston Innovations. I'd love to walk in every office at, at work and speak to everybody. Because you, you, when, you, when you absorb all that information, it's really, really powerful. Yeah. But it, it only works if it's a two-way street. Yeah. So if you've got a, a, a sponsor angler who thinks just going fishing and, and posting your picture is going to cut the mustard, it really isn't. It's no. about more than that. And certainly with brands like Corum, uh, Preston Innovations is a family of brands. They're not fishing tackle companies. It's brands. We're, yes. a, we're a sales and marketing machine first. The product development, innovation, all that kind of thing it has to be as good as it is to support that machine. Otherwise, you're marketing nothing. It's always just mm-hmm. fluff. It's not, oh, it is a 50 quid rod. Why is it better than everything else? Oh, it's, it, it's great value for the money. My least favorite yeah. saying in the world. That's the best <laughs> thing I can say about product. It ain't worth doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, be, keep talking. That's the that's the, the thing, you know. And uh, I was giving some good advice you know, I, I started hanging publication very early. I was only 20. And I think Tim said to me, you know, be, be careful um, whose path you cross on the way up because you don't know who you might need on the way down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people who've had a, a bad fall from grace in the fishing industry because yeah. they didn't heed that advice. You know, I, I like to think, I'm, you know, in good friendly speaking terms with most of the people I've ever met in this industry. There are very few bad eggs in the industry. The ones that there are are easy to spot, and people will yeah. warn you about it. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, keep keep your eyes open, your ears open for opportunities, and a bit like you know, if I was to give somebody any kind of job experience, um, you know, don't just take the first opportunity that comes. Because you yeah. can end up working or being sponsored by a company. It's actually going to tarnish your reputation for being sponsored by the big guys. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't take the sponsorship agreement from the small European tackle brand that's trying to make a name for itself in the UK. Wait. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you've got somebody in mind, you can almost court the brand. Yeah. 
You know, if you love thinking anglers, if literally every picture in your Instagram feed is about thinking anglers tackle, like you know, sort of carpy rig shots and then some, some fish pictures, and you've got one of the caps on, it won't take the them guys that think it angles long to recognise who you are. Yeah. And I've seen that happen with loads and loads of younger guys who, who have gone on to get, you know, jobs at these companies. Yeah. Because they've, all, they've just, I, I want to be that kind of angler or I want to be seen to be that kind of guy. And yeah. When you talk about brands, somebody like me who's holds a fish up with a big cheesy grin every single time Probably not going to get courted by all the carpy <laughs> brands, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to stick to who you are, though, because a wrong and smelt a mile off, do you know. For example, Corum, <laughs> um, fish for everything. If someone was really trying to become a Corum sponsored angler, um, but it was very obvious that they only fish for carp or something like that, and they were re- or for perch, and it was really obvious that they were pushing themselves to go and fish for other species just so they could try and get on board. It, it sticks out like a sore thumb. The, the people who actually enjoy it, you can really tell, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I quite like, at, at the moment, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll include you in this, Matt, you know, you get, you get a bit of stuff from, from Corum for the stuff that you do. Um, you're still free to promote whoever else. But I, I, I really like the, the, the young, not necessarily the younger guys, but the guys who are kind of newer to fishing for everything. That yeah. all of those big fish that some of our guys like Gary Knowles and Matthews, you know, they, they've already caught them. Yeah. The, these guys haven't caught them yet. And I want to be almost part of that journey with them. Because I think the public will be with you as well. Yeah. You know, you, you, you get a little bit of holier than thou stuff going on with, with specimen fishing. There's nothing wrong with it. If if all if you won't get out of bed unless the fish is going to break the person best, that's your choice. Mm-hmm. That is totally up to you. If you don't want to join a venue because there isn't a fish in there bigger than one you've caught before, that's that's up to you. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're that kind of angler. But, you know, I, I like to have the balance with Corum. I quite like these guys who, who are going to be at that level in 20 years' time. And yeah. let's, be, let's be part of the journey together for those 20 years and let's take all those guys who are hashtagging fish for everything with us. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. Um, so talking about like products and bits and pieces like that, I wanted to talk to you about over the years, obviously you've been involved in hundreds and products. There's got to have been some great ones, but I'm sure there's probably been some ones that you look back and cringe about that maybe didn't make the cut. <laughs> yeah, there there are a couple that are, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm proud of them. I'm just I, I remember them more because, like I said to you before, a lot of these development ideas and things they don't come from me. I'm the filter. I'm the sponge and the filter for all this, all these other ideas. And of course, there's, there's a lot of products where you kind of plagiarise in somebody else's stuff, but you're making it fit for corn. So, yeah. an opportunist XTND rod, for instance, it's a scope, but it's not. <laughs> it's not, is it? I mean, you, you, you've had one of those in your hands, you know. Yeah. 
it's run differently, the action is different, all the test curves are different, the length of the handle is different, we've coromized it. Yeah. And you know, that, that that's not a product that really stands out for me. It does at the moment because we're selling loads, but it's a good example of how certain products they don't have to be like like a eureka moment in your in your bath to be successful. Yeah. But uh, there have been a few of the um the original grub feeder, that, yeah. that's one that really stands. That was the, my kind of my first wow, big selling product. Totally new. You know, there was nothing really like it out there. And we actually made it from, you know, the blister packaging for a method feeder. Yeah. Just cut out the outside of the blister packaging and hinged it. And I'm like, look, you can, you can fill this so the maggots can't get out because they're in yeah. your hand. Yeah. And then we put the little clip on the top. That kind of came about from some of the Coram lads used to do that with the feed. There's a little piece of foam with a slit in it. And all of a sudden we had this product and it, let me tell you, it sold like hotcakes. Like, well, yeah. better than hotcakes. It was just insane. We sold, we just couldn't, they couldn't make them fast enough. You know, we just went absolutely ballistic. And that was kind of like my first big number product you know that 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 as a product category a little group of feeders about four or five feeders we used to sell loads of them loads yeah. and loads of them um there's, there's quite a, quite a few products the fast mat is the one i like at the moment um that was just after my eldest was born we went on holiday and i was googling for something to put Florence in on the beach. Yeah. And I found this thing and it looked like a fast map, but it was round. It got more sides, it was like a, a funny shape. Yeah. So I bought one, trying to figure, oh, can you do this so it looks like an Anokia map, not one of these. I sent it to the supplier with a sketch and the first couple of versions you couldn't get them to fold. They yeah. were just like a wrestling match. <laughs> and we finally figured out the sort of proportions and the, the sides have to have this hinge in for it to work properly. And it was one of them when you got the sample out of the bag and it just went, Phew! yeah, like the fast man does, just Phew! like a pop-up tent. And yeah. you, you know, every, everybody who was in the room at the time just sort of looked and went, oh, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you just knew that it was going to fly. But it, it, I, I particularly like that product, not because it's clever. It is a clever product, there, but there are lots of that kind of clever product in, in the marketplace, in fishing and outside of fishing, pop-up stuff. But it was what it did for Corum as a brand, where most of our unlucky mats were just little roll mats, you know, it was all... This was kind of like a proper unlucky mat that was also a roving mat. It was yeah. really light and fast and you could clip it to the bag and it, that that luggage system that we'd developed it sort of completed it a little bit and doing the fast mat helped to sell more luggage yeah which puts more full rob hall quorum style anglers on the bank yeah and you, you'd have seen it yourself man you go to a, a tent venue a cruise venue or to a river and the brand you see the most is quorum yeah. and there are certain products we do that stand out no one else does them. They're ours. Yeah. Um, and, and the fast mat's definitely one of them. Yeah, I think most anglers can say at some point in, especially my, my generation, 
I say if I say to people, uh, have you ever had anything Corum branded? Oh yeah, I had a Corum chair like when I was growing up and bought a Corum net from the car boot sale or something. You know, everyone's had something Corum, so it's definitely stable now and and uh, it's a brand that people know and yeah. You know, we, uh, they, and you know, going back to what you asked before, we've had a few stinkers. Yeah. And, and quite often it's been more you know, risky products. You think this could really, you, you can't not order lots because it might be really popular. And yeah. You do it and it's not. <laughs> and then yeah. like, it feels like a bit of a damp squib because all of a sudden you're thinking, well, based on how many we sell in a month, there's about three, three, four years worth of that left. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, that, that three or four years gets worse as you go along because you start, yeah. the older it is, the worse it gets. But for, been lucky for the most part because of yeah. the filter. Yeah. You know, like I said to you before, the press room is surrounded by people who have an opinion and are not afraid to tell you what they think about your stuff. Um, they'll, you know, polish the corners off for you and get things better. And quite often, those products that should never have come to market don't get there. But you should never stop you working on it. You know, I always say there's no such thing as a bad idea. Yeah. Just so long as good. Just don't have five bad ideas in a row. <laughs> so I don't want to like dwell too much on the whole COVID thing and all that, but. I did want to just pick your brains because I know we've spoke about it a couple of times, especially with the shipping bits and pieces um, and, and thing. But I just wanted to know how COVID has affected Corum as a brand because I know obviously we all we're all aware there's winners and losers in the yeah. fishing industry with the COVID, and you know, unfortunately there weren't all winners. But how's Corum been affected? I, I think, well, from a from a sales perspective. We're having an amazing time. Yeah, I have to pinch myself. It is so good. You know, don't get me wrong. I would swap that level of success for all them people still being alive and, and mm. being able to go out in the ice and not wear a mask and all that, or you know, all that sort of thing. But for the the fishing tackle industry benefited a lot from COVID purely and simply because it was something people could do that they felt safe doing because we're outside. Yeah. And I think a lot of people reconnected with fishing. You, you obviously had a lot of new anglers as well, but it was more important that people who fish, you know, are you a fisherman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm a mm -hmm. fisherman. When was the last time you went? Uh, you can't even remember the last time they bought a license. Yeah. That changed. And then all of a sudden, those people started going a bit more often. I think the people who were keen fishermen went more often mm -hmm. and upgraded either as an angler or with the tackle they wanted to use and, and buy them. And you know what it's like if, if you start spending a bit of time on something and getting getting really into something, you spend a bit more money on it, don't you? Whether, yeah, whether it's golf, making podcasts, filming, it doesn't matter, does it? Whatever it is, if, you know, some of my mates who tell me how much they just pay for a mountain bike, I'm like, <laughs> I bought a car for that much, you know, like, what are you on about? Um, so it, it's come with some logistical issues because obviously it's a global issue. Yeah. Um, and the, the main issue at the moment is the supply. You can imagine that for as popular as fishing has become in the UK, imagine what it's like in the US. Mm. 
where yeah, we forget about that sort of thing. Yeah, and and the in the US, their their recruitment work to get more people fishing is really really strong before COVID. So you can imagine for them, it was like well, we've already got the tap turned on, and now all now the audience has literally just turned to look at us at the right moment. And, you know, they've really had a great time. Um, Europe is kind of the same. You know, the, the restrictions are different in lots of different countries. Uh, that really benefited quorum because there was a lot of quorum anglers. They don't know that they're a quorum angler yet because we've got 20 years of product, marketing, branding in the UK. In, yeah. in Hungary... Yeah, they only started selling quorum in Hungary like two or three years ago properly. And so all of a sudden you get this quantum leap where they go from spending this much money to like, yeah, because instead of just stocking a quorum accessory chair and a few quick stops and a few feeders, they ink blots through the catalogue and they oh, I'll take a river tripod and we'll take a few of them barbell rods and we'll take yeah. a few of them. And all of a sudden they've got the full program in the shop. Yeah. And, you know, in our, our sales in Europe now are in a really, really great place. And as long as we can keep supplying, we'll be happy. Yeah. Um, I think the reality of COVID in the countries where most of this tackle is made, I think the situation is worse than anybody really knows. And that's, yeah. the, the lead times have just got really long. So mm. we, we've never polished the crystal ball so hard to try and figure out how much do you order of anything. Yeah, because when be everything's tough. selling it twice, three times the rate that it used to, because there's more people fishing, you're in more countries, there's more demand for your product. You know, the, the brand's really escalated. We've had the, the the rocket burners on for the last two years. You know, we 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 had momentum anyway, but now it's just going to hyper hyperdrive. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that's probably been similar for most of the brands out there as well. I, I hope so. I hope so, Matt, because it means that there's still market share for us to steal from a from a from a, from a you know um, professional standpoint. But from a personal standpoint, it means that the retention of all those new anglers has been really good, and there's lots of people getting into fishing. There's still I still believe there's people buying licenses now that didn't buy one last year. You know what it's like yourself, you know, you start fishing, your mate takes an interest, then his mate takes an interest, then his brother wants to go, and then his missus is coming with him, and then so-and-so wants to go, and all of a sudden, the same sort of ink-blotting situation. Yeah. It's like, and you get people who, they might start out just faffing about on a commercial venue, but then they, they might catch like a big carp or something and think, oh, that was eight. Yeah. And then, of course, if you want to get into carp fishing, how, how good is it? Now, for someone who wants to get into carp fishing, oh yeah, you know, it's just re- everything's ready made. In the past, you'd have to buy every carp fishing magazine there was, a couple of tin pays of these books to figure out well, what, what, what the hell is all this stuff about? It seems really technical, yeah. but now the information is literally everywhere. It's really good. That's the yeah. that's I- the thing. It's still there's there's the basic content, the slightly more in depth content, the the really edgy content and. You know, I, I know a few friends of mine who started fishing last year who have now got more gear for carp fishing than I have. Yeah. And they, they've just they've gone from becoming a fisherman to becoming a carp angler. 
Yeah. And equally, you know, I know people who've got back into fishing because they're competitive. So, can I do this and earn some money as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, and they start off on a an open match. It's you know twenty quid a go on the weekend somewhere, and all of a sudden they've got three grand pole, yeah, carbon seat box, yeah, the full do, and yeah, I think that's great for fishing because it's never ever been better to get into it and then go up through the levels. Yeah, and find the, find your place. You know, you said it before. Stay true to yourself, whatever you, and you know, I, I, you're probably the same as me, man. You'll know people who don't really know where they are yet. Even they, been fishing for 10, 20, 30 years, they still don't really know. Yeah. Um, but that COVID has been good for getting people outside and getting people fishing. Yeah, I agree. And I think the, saying about the abundance of information out there. It's only there if you look for it, though. I mean, I've been an example of that is I've been helping out uh, a local fishery, carp fishery near me. As you know, I've been doing a bit of carp fishing this spring. I thought I'd give a tent a rest and have a little go for the carp. And um, one of the guys I've been showing my face down the same lake, been chatting to the the owner and that, and he's like, "You're, you're you know what you're doing, and you're a nice bloke. Could you, could you fancy helping out with a bit of bailiffing? And you know, maybe you can come and fish down here and not have to pay." And it's like, "Yeah, of course, mate. It's like nice to get out of the house ten minutes away." And but the rigs I'm walking around and checking are disgraceful, do you know. <laughs> and I said to the owner, we should put because he don't know. He's like, he's got all the rules there, but people don't read them, do you know. And I said we need a little display, the the death rig wall of shame, do you know, and just leave them on there. And just these are legitimate rigs we've taken off people. But do you know, I just say to people, look, go onto YouTube or Google and type in helicopter rig. Do you know, you will find out everything about a helicopter rig from. 10 different brands mm. and it will even tell you probably the history of who created it and why and you know the various different ways you can do it that the information is there and that wasn't there before do you know i'm guilty when i look back when i first started fishing I, I got most of my knowledge from magazines passed down from my dad's work colleagues um but i'd get dropped off at the lake and go and pester people do you know i'd hate to be me fishing with the younger me keep coming around the lake going hello mate how you getting on like just sitting there talking about stuff what rigs are you i didn't care mate i had no filter what rigs are you using then what size hooks that and i'd be remember it all up here and I'm like, okay where are you putting your bait and just just draining people and boring them to wow. death until they're like do you want a pack of these hooks mate yeah yes please mate yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd have made a good journalist matt because i was exactly the same i still am mate still still to this day I still, I, I know, I know when to turn it on, but obviously yeah. there's a lot more tact to it these days. <laughs> mm. when, when to start interrogating, because you, you know, and a good piece of advice for anybody who fishes is never assume that you know everything because you really don't. There's always somebody who knows it better than you, or certainly knows it better than you at that moment in time. Yeah, you know, and you, you I've met a lot of carp anglers, uh, river anglers. You know, and they they get on a hot street, and you you just have to go and ask them what they're doing, what the thought process is, and just even if you just sit there and watch them, yeah. you can learn so much by just you know if 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 somebody's catching a few fish, go and watch. If you're yeah. at the other end of the lake, and like a lot of day ticket lakes, you can't move. Mm. Put a bit of bait in and just leave leave your swim. For 24 hours even, you know, just leave it. Go, the bloke is absolutely tatering on the other end. Just go and watch it. 
Yeah. Now, I, I kind of got, I went to carp fishing university by going to work for Angler Publications because every week I was going fishing three times on average with somebody who was mustard at it, you know. Like, they, they were the best carp anglers out there. And a lot of them are still the best carp anglers out there right now as well. And, you know, you, you, you could just spend time with these guys. Quite often I'd drive, might drive all the way down to Kent, stop overnight, not even fish. Yeah. Because you, you're just sitting and listening and watching and learning and asking, probing, and you come away and that weekend you go fishing, you kind of put what you think you've learned into practice and you start catching some fish. And yeah. I think a, a lot of people might, because the information out that is so readily available, you could watch two videos, get the wrong end of the stick, go fishing and not ask someone. And until somebody points it out to you, you would just never know that you were doing it wrong. Yeah, I remember that with the so zig fishing. Bank hours is so important. Yeah, I, I remember that with zig fishing years and years ago when I sort of first got into it. Um, I was looking at this was still in there was YouTube about then, so there was a couple of videos. They're both similar, and then I went out and tried it and didn't have no joy. And then eventually there was someone else clearing up on the lake on zigs, and I just said, "Mate, come and have a look at what I'm doing wrong." Do you know? I actually weren't doing anything wrong, but I think it was that reassurance that yeah. what I was doing was correct was enough for me to go, right, I'm happy about it. Three rods out, they're staying. Do you know, I had that little reassurance to say, you're not a muppet, you are doing it right, it's pretty simple. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot to be said for those, like the little things, the, the, little, the very little things. I'll give you a good example. We, um, with Corum, we've got quite a good relationship with the Tench Fishers, and they, they yeah. had their... their like an anniversary do and they invited everybody to go down and fish horseshoe tench fishing yep. there's loads of people fishing and um, I, I was really lucky I was fishing with probably the best tench angler of all time Di Gribble yep. who at the time was on that streak if he went and you know if he went in the spring everybody else on the lake would just be like oh yeah, he's going to have it away and I'm not and it, that, that happened everywhere he went even on the big massive lakes where there was nobody else tent fishing he would just turn up and it just happened for him because he just yeah. at that moment in time he just got it and you know I'm literally fishing right next to him and you know I'm not ashamed to say that when I cast out every time I cast out I got a little bit closer to where he was fishing <laughs> I had the same rigs on the same bait same feeders Rods weren't the same, but that, that doesn't help me catch any fish, does it? Literally, I'm, I'm just replicating, I'm just imitating him. Yeah. But he had like 10 fish and I had one. <laughs> I, I think he, he single-handedly won the Corum versus the Tench Fishers banter sort of match that we were having. He didn't need anybody else to catch anything, he just did it all <laughs> himself. And, you know, for 48 hours, I'm just watching him. And thinking it's just so well rehearsed. It, it, it got the muscle memory. Every cast, it was one cast, it was never two. The yeah. rig, he knew when to change it. He knew, he just knew when to swap to a different bait, and he, he, he could sense how the patch was evolving and when to bait up and when to leave it, when to rest it. Whereas I'm like, you know, I don't know. Not a ten channel, really not a ten channel. I caught a few pickles <laughs> by accident, but I really don't know what I'm doing. And but I learned so much from just watching someone who was the master at it. 
Same with barbel fishing, you know, with Cora Benet, with some guys barbel fishing. People like Aid Cadell, you know, they've forgotten more than I will ever learn about barbel yeah. fishing because of the bank hours, the venues they fish. have caught so many fish over the, the years, you just can't ignore how good they are. No, definitely. And, but, but spending time with those people makes a, makes a massive difference. Yeah. Lovely. Well, Matt, I asked you to bring an item with you today, like we did with Nick. He brought his granddad's barge pole rod. So I'm excited to see what. Mine's not as big as a prop. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know there was a few different things that I thought about bringing for this. Um, But I thought I'd bring the the one that's the most rare. Okay. This is pretty rare. See what that is? Is that a scale? It's a scale from a 44 pound common carp that I was supposed to catch but didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, if, if anybody, anybody who, know, who knows me or might have followed me, uh, my fishing escapades over the, the last sort of 10 years, um, I really wanted to catch this one particular common carp from Bainall, Quarry Pool in Staffordshire. It was for me, it, I, 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 when I decided to fish a venue, it's usually because of a fish, one. And, I'll, and I was just obsessed with this one fish, trying to catch it. And the good thing about the, that particular lake, there's so many other fish to catch as well. There's so many other big fish, but that was the real jewel in the crown, the big girl, the big common. Yeah. And she wasn't perfect, but she was. For me, it was like, that was exactly what I wanted a big common carp to look like. And I really, really wanted to catch it. And I, I, I spent quite a, a, a few um, sessions there. I used to go quite a lot. Um, when I first met my now wife, Amy, um, she was doing a like, nursing degree. I had a lot more time on my hands to go fishing. So most of my carp fishing is midweek. I'd go to Baden and because it's a day ticket water, you've got a lot of anglers coming and going, but nobody's really fishing it regular. There, there aren't many people keeping in touch with it, and I knew that I could. Yeah. I'd always just do, for the most part, just do 24 hours. I'd rather do two 24-hour trips in a month than one 48, because it gave me two moments in time of being there. And it, it was so similar to the sort of gravel pit style fishing that I'd done when I worked at Angler Publications in places like Linear and Horseshoe and like lakes like that. You know, weedy, clear, more of a gravel pit than... I think it's probably yeah. the only lake like that in the Staffordshire Shropshire area. It's like a gravel pit. And I, I got to groups with it and caught a lot of fish. But I was always catching the 20s. You know, I'd catch like seven or eight twenties and the bloke next to me would have like a 38 pounder but yeah. i think that i i prefer the 20s than the 38 pounders that makes sense i fish to catch as many as i can and if the big ones come along that's great yeah but of course over time through spending time there and the wonder of facebook if you're a big fish carp angler i i, I soon figured out this fish is the most predictable carp in the world. It, it came out at Easter five years in a row. Yeah. 
So you know, an Easter moves, doesn't it? With the moon, yeah. the moon phase, it kind of moves with it. So it was always the same moon phase, always a similar sort of time of year, and it would always be the first time it got caught. And so, and it was usually big because it's spring, yeah. you know. And I'm down there, and I, I've, I've got forty-eight hours because I knew it, that she was coming out. I knew it. So I've done the first night and I can't get day ticket problems, can't get on the fish. Mm -hmm. I'm trying my best, mind. <laughs> the, yeah. the, there's a point swim there that I don't think I've fished it quite a bit and I've never caught a carp from it. I've landed plenty of carp in the swim, but they weren't from out of my own swim. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good Wolfgangian swim where you can just fish wherever you want. Yeah. And I, I, I just, even so, I couldn't, I couldn't take the mick any more than I already had. I just watched these fish all night in this swim. I'm like, right, in the morning, I'll ring the, the office and ask them if they're they leaving, can I move? And as it was, the lads in peg five and six were leaving. Now, from where I was on the other side of the lake, 90% of the shows were in peg six. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going in peg six. I should have listened to myself because that fish had a you know that spring capture nine times out of ten was out of peg five yeah but there were so many in peg six so i've got in peg six well i'm, I'm gonna go in peg six get a phone call in the morning off the guy dave bailey and uh he says to me oh what are you up to you know this moon phase is really good it's really really good weather you know i said oh mate come down here you know there's like seven or eight pegs free and then you'll be if you come down now today you'll you'll be able to get right on so dave came down and i had to make a decision we're going to peg five we're going to go and peg six because i went and peg six because there was fish yeah. everywhere dave comes down and dave uh bless him he got all these ideas in his head about how to catch a big one from the lake he's like i'm going to fish 10 yards out the bottom of the slope Put a load of these 18 mil boilies at Wayne Dunn's role, proven big fish bait. Okay, he was going to fish like lunch and meat and something weird on the other rod. You know, he really thought about what he was going to yeah. do. Well, I'm there and the wind changed slightly and the fish did move in front of five. There was one weed bed, probably not very big, side of the car, and they were just they were there. Yeah. On the hatch, big time. Roy Russell had not long started working there as a bailiff. Roy's come down and he looked out in the lake and he said, well, oh. you know, they were like, and they, they do in that show where you know they're on a hatch. You just see yeah. a little bit of them, don't you? you don't, it's not a proper big bosh. Yeah. And I'm sort of sat looking at my two rods thinking, I can't, I, I couldn't fish any further in today's swim than I already was. Yeah. Um, I think, why am I getting a bite? They're so preoccupied on that one week bed. And Dave's already got two rods out. Roy's got to him. Have you got a zig on? And Dave's gone, no, why? Get his zig on. Well, I don't really want to reel them other rods in. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. You know, this is two rods only on Baden. It doesn't yeah. matter, just, just put the zig on. So Dave's rigged up another rod and he's chucked to, this fish is nutted out. And he's chucked the rod and it's literally landed in the last ripple of this fish. Me and Roy just, you know, that knowing look. Yeah. Because we both knew the venue really well. 
just both looked at each other thinking, that's within an hour, that's going. Yeah. <laughs> they just put the rod on the floor. So we're, you know, we're chatting, um, you know, as we do, having a bit of banter, all that sort of thing. And you, the rod just starts skipping down the grassy bank. And he's picked it up, and he's, he, Dave had like, hardly done any zig fishing to this point, but he spent like all winter at Drayton learning about it, fishing with lads who really understood it and yeah. getting to grips with it. So he's fishing really light. He's fishing like 020 WB Clark Mono, which is, I mean, that, that's brave. A lot of people don't know that. I'll go that light, but a lot, a lot of people go that light. Yeah. And his suit, he's hooked into it and he give it like full test curve. And the rod's <laughs> like bent to the side, looking at me, and he's like, this is massive. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's a good chance, Dave, as half the fish in the lake are over 30 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. This is massive. This is massive. And then the fish wasn't doing anything. Anybody who, who knew of this fish didn't fight, was not renowned for its battle. And most people who ever caught it, you know, when you read it in the wind, you think, oh, it's come off. Oh, no, it hasn't. Yeah, yeah. That's come off. Oh, no, it hasn't. Dave was like that all the way in. And I'm, you know, I, I, I know the fish is at the bottom of the shelf. I can see it. And I thought, if I put my polaroids on there, all I'm going to do is confirm my worst suspicion of what's <laughs> on the end. I'm looking. Dave's going, oh, yeah, this just feels like a good fish. And I'm, like, screaming at him, like, just stop. He was pulling so hard. Yeah. <laughs> In the excitement of it. I'm like, Dave, just calm down a little bit. And, of course, I flip my Polaroids on. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, it's a... Yeah. Although there were two, there were two that were all, like, twins. The other one I caught twice. They, they called it, they named it after me. Um, oh, yeah. The woods come and they look really similar, they just had a really much bigger tail. And I'm looking and thinking, oh, please be that one. <laughs> and of course, he was like, I've come, gone down with the net, netted it. And I, honestly, you know, when you flip them from, I was looking at the left side, looking at the yeah. right flank, looking at the left flank, looking at the right flank, because woods has commonly got one scale missing in the middle of its body. And every time I turned it over, I was just waiting for that middle scale to go, and it didn't. And I looked at Dave, and I said, that, "That's a big girl, Dave." And he was, he, it was, it was so, it was good that it was a mate. He, yeah. honestly, Matt, his reaction to it was exactly what I would expect anybody's reaction should be when they've caught a fish of that magnitude, that especially one like that, so much yeah. bigger than his personal best. You know, he was. Blown away, he was just—he was just like sitting on the grassy bank, just mumbling to himself, <laughs> staring at the floor. Me and Roy, you know, we're like the, the goalkeepers now, aren't we? To get everything ready, get the mat ready, get the sling, all this sort of thing. Dave's useless. He's no use in the ornaments, no one. Just sort of sat there looking at the floor. I remember—I can't remember the exact way, but it was big, really big. And um, but it was like she looked a bit tatty. First time you've know, ever seen it like it, you know, a few loose scales and all that, and that scale fell off it. Yeah. So I kept it in my tackle box, thinking one day I'll be able to put it back on, you know, like, yeah. like a, I always had it in my head that, that when I caught it, I could take this picture with the scale there and, and tell this story. Yeah. But, 
it never happened. It never <laughs> happened. I put all, everything else in the lake pretty much, apart from that one. And unfortunately, I don't, I don't think she's there anymore. So, but uh, that's my memento. No, that's an awesome <laughs> story, mate. Oh, brilliant. So, um, do you still fish with that bloke now, or Dave? Uh, Dave runs um, uh, a syndicate lake called the Bowl, which is the second closest lake to my house. Um, I, I don't. It's right next to the M6 and the A, like the two busiest roads in in the West Midlands, and I probably will fish it one day. I have fished it a little bit, but. It doesn't float my boat. It's great big bowl. Great, it's like sixty-five acres or something. Great big lake, um, but it doesn't doesn't particularly float my boat. The fish are amazing. He's got some real scaly fish. He's got forty-pounder in there. Um, some serious fish, you know. And there are a lot of fish in there now. You know, there are a fair few hundred fish to catch. Um, Tom Forrester, who works at Avid. He keeps saying, you know, you've got to go out for a go because it's your kind of fishing numbers yeah. with a chance yeah. of a better one. But then I, I, I don't feel like I could do it justice at the moment. My head's okay. not into carp fishing enough to go and fish a great big lake like that on a regular basis. And because it's so close to home, I, I know what I'm like. <laughs> yeah, you fall in the trap. Yeah, I just end up on there a bit too often. And, you know, I've got. I've got two beautiful daughters who I love spending time with. Uh, you know, my, my wife is my best mate. You know, I'm lucky that my, my parents are still around. My brothers have got a good relationship with them. There's, there's too much going on for me to go and get get me a drink, yeah. something like that. But I must admit, I, I see you always posting bits and pieces about a family. It's proper hashtag family goals. <laughs> and, uh, genuinely, you can tell how much you're a family guy and that and now that you certainly put them, the priorities are right, mate. Yeah, well... It's very, I, I, it's very easy to get that wrong. I, I, I said to a friend of mine the other day, he sent me a, a picture of his dog, and I, he, he, he's only young. I said to him, mate, just, just you wait until you've got kids that look and act just like the woman you fell in love with. You just get besotted with them. You know, it's so important. And I, I'm sure when they get older... I might have a different view of them when they're draining my bank account. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for now, you know, I, I like to think I go fishing enough to keep myself sane. Yeah. But you, you, you need all those other things as well. Now, I don't, I, I've got friends that are like it. You know, they, they say they go fishing to escape the family and work and all that kind of things. And I just can't get my head around that. I feel, no. I feel guilty when I go. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so fastidious about me fishing whilst if I'm, if I'm going I'm full on with it because if, if I go and I don't catch anything I feel it's going to sound really stupid I feel really guilty about spending so much time away and coming with for nothing yeah I, I get that yeah so I, I, for that reason with me fishing I do like a sure thing I quite, yeah. I quite like going to venues or places that I know is going to be quite good um but I, I am willing to do a bit of pioneering, as it were, or and spend some time. Like on the river, it's completely different. Yeah. You know, for for my autumn, winter perch type fishing, I, I'm willing to follow up on the lamest 
weakest rumour you've ever heard. I will just yeah. go to find out for myself. And, you know, for for whatever reason, the the past winter, as you know, was just bonkers. Yeah. And there was so much jeopardy involved, so much serendipity, you know, just speaking to the right bloke at the right time and being a nice person to someone would result in you're being told about something that you might not find out about or you know you, you just speak to some old boy on the bank and he'd be like oh yeah when when we, we fished a salmon pool up there it's sort of another half a mile up the river we fished a salmon pool up there in the spring them stripey things are a bloody pain in the arse you're like <laughs> yeah. really where's that then <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just just by being a nice guy it yeah. led to so many fish, and, it, 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 and or I think ordinary river fishing has been a bit like that, regardless of the species. Been really lucky, although the, you make your own luck to some extent, and you know having yeah. your ears open and, and being communicative with everybody and just just speaking to people on the bank or off the bank or whatever. Um, it's amazing the, the the more the more big perch I catch, the more I get told about. By people yeah. who don't fish for him, because oh, he's the he's the he's the perch guy. Yeah. Uh, have you been to such and such a lake? No. Yeah. Uh, I heard this bloke caught one this big. You know, like, great big massive thing. No, did he? And then I'll just yeah. go. Just go. If if it was carp, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No way. No chance. I'm not wasting a session there. No, not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but for predator fishing, it's like, well, because it's so easy to prepare for, you didn't need much, do you, to, to, to catch a perch. I mean, my, my selection that I take with me is not very big anymore. Um, and it's easy to carry. I quite enjoy the, the, the walking, the mobility of it. I spend most of my life sat there on a laptop or on my phone, yeah. and I'm not... And so, being able to connect with the outside world, I'm quite happy. I, I, I mean, the, the amount of fruitless journeys I've been on, and, I, and I'll still go back. I'll go back again because that rumor might be true. It was just you did the wrong thing, or um, I, I didn't quite hit it on the right water level, or whatever. I'll go again. Yeah. Because even if it's just for the walk. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting what Nick said as well about when he said. Just, I just weren't good enough at oh. lure fishing at that time. Do you know that? I that thought that was, was a really good, um, a really good attitude to take towards it. It's I, it's been quite interesting actually because I um, I don't I don't like going back and fishing the same places if I can help it. It's nice to have them to call upon, but I'm not going to invest too much time in fishing spots that I've already been and done very well at. There might be some that I'm, because of a big fish or something, I won't go there on a, in certain conditions. A lot of it's gut feeling with that. But I've been a bit loose-lipped with people who I trust, who I, yep. I can tell them about something. And, you know, they're, they're, they're good anglers. They've watched them catch, catch more fish than me on a canal, for instance. So I've seen them with lots of perch. And they, they go to these places that were once, for me, like a, a nailed on. You know, if you if you came up 
this neck of the woods and we went perch fishing, I'd take you there. Because it's so yeah. there's there's just so many fish there. And they'd have been like a dozen times for nothing. Yeah. And I think, well what's why? I can't get my head around it. And then I'll go and be like, oh no, they're still here. And it, when Nick was saying what I what I was doing was just not good enough or a lot of it's timing. It really is. Yeah. You know, I know when, from speaking to London Perch Finder, Adam Jones, you know, they, yeah. him and um, Brett talk about fish becoming numb to laws, particular presentations. You know, somebody, somebody chucks out one of them at you enough times, eventually you, yeah. you, 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 you're yourself, pushing yeah. more uphill, you know, it's, you're making life difficult for yourself. But equally, I do believe that if, if, if there are spots you know of and you know they're there, you just know that just keeping on hammering at them is the right thing to do. You just don't don't keep the same stuff on all the time. You're very, I see guys do it all the time. They turn up, they try the purple TRD, the favourite, but that doesn't work. They change it to a yellow one, but that doesn't work. They change it to a tickler or something, you know, something... And it, it's just the same presentation. Yeah. I change when, when I'm purchasing, I change really fast. Probably probably to my detriment sometimes. But quite, I'll be like, nah, that should work by now. Really quick. After a few, yeah. no, and, but then I also know the times to think, do you know, nah, nah, every other spot I've been to, that, that's something with a paddle tail, fish like that would work everywhere else. It's going to work here. It's just which speed I'll move positions, I'll, I'll change the, the level of the fall or I'll change the jig head weight because I, I know I'm doing the right thing. It's just that, those little bits. Yeah. And again, I've fished with people who are so good at this. You learn all the, the real basic elements of that, of making those decisions. But mm. ultimately, you can't teach it. You have to do it. Yeah. Those bank hours, and it, it it's it's tricky because unless you unless you get that first bit right of knowing they're there, that's a perch spot. That's a perch spot. That's a perch spot. You could be doing what I'm talking about in swims with no fishing, and yeah. you can't learn. Yeah. So something I you know I, I do this a lot. I've got a couple of different couple of Ed Matthews lakes are perfect for it. They're full of perch. Millions, and they're a great place to go and just figure out a method or a technique or retrieve. When you buy and you know you, you you see a new bait and you think, oh, like that looks like it will work. You can take it there and figure out how to get the best from it. So yeah. then you can go and apply that on the places where there are fewer fish but they're bigger, and really hammer them. <laughs> you can really a bit it's the same with every carp fishing. If you get good at catching double figure carp, what do you think the difference is between a double figure carp and a forty pound carp? Yeah. Not a fat lot, other than how big they are. One's got a bigger mouth and a bigger belly. But they respond yeah. to the same stuff in the same way. You know, pressured fish over time, yeah, that, that does change, but it's still carp. And mm. you know, uh, uh, you've got to you can't skip through the levels. I've found you've got to yeah. with carp if you want to get good at catching a thirty pounder, catches just catch lots of fish and the thirty pounder will be there. 
You know, yeah. and if you start fishing lakes where there are lots of third pankers, you'll get really good at catching them. <laughs> and then you join a lake that's got a lot of fourth pankers and you might get really good at catching them as well. And with perch, it's exactly the same. You know, I, this winter, I, I was exploring more to try and find a big shoal somewhere, just to catch. There's them sessions yeah. where you catch a, a couple of ones and a couple of twos and you might get one three. It's like, what, yeah, I've had like 15 fish and I've caught them on four different laws, doing four yeah. different things. I learned something. And then the next time you go back, because there's a big gang of fish there, because you, you know they're there, you might try all them four things that worked the last time and get nothing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'll try this. And you, you might try a new technique that you've never been, like Carolina rig or something, like you drop shot, and you might try something you've not really got to grips with. And because you're fishing something's a bit more prolific, you'll really get your head around it. Yeah. And then because you've caught lots of fish, when you go to them places where you've got a feeling that there's a good fish there or whatever, you're just knowing what to do at the right time because all those bank hours, all that instinct, you've built it into you. It's just part yeah. of how you fish now. And it's really, it's really hard to, you know, I, I, I try and make a, a big effort to educate. That, that's probably not the right word. You don't want to sound like you're lecturing. But to share what you've learned. Yeah. You know, I'll make little videos or take little pictures of stuff that I'm doing and, and or, you know, I do a lot in the Instagram stories just to ask me questions and I'll tell you what I think. Mm-hmm. And you get messages off loads of guys like, oh, mate, I did that and you said and I caught this. And it's like, I'll get more of a buzz from that than catching it myself. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, great. I think for it doesn't matter what you're fishing for. If you... If, the more fish you catch, the better you'll be. That's the simple really, I suppose. Yeah, as I say, it links back to sort of what you were saying about uh, Dai and when he was with his tent fishing. Yeah. You know, he, he had it built into him. And I suppose when you're going out doing thousands of casts, walking tens, 20 miles, you know, eventually when you do get it right, you start putting them puzzle pieces together. But I definitely will have to come and join you, hopefully. <laughs> Well, if things I, I, stay how they are, then we'll be allowed to travel because I think that's really got in the way. Definitely, because I, I shall do, this autumn I will do exactly what I did the autumn just past. In in September, October sort of time, I just went, because it, it's warmer. Perch are a lot easier to catch at that time mm-hmm. of year than any other time of year. Um, they're just starting to visit those slacker areas on the river, the weeds died back. Water clarity's better. It's a great time to go and fish places that on the map look good, or that rumor that someone told you is worth going and just finding out. And yeah. you know that that a lot of the fish that I found in September um, was where I ended up spending most of the winter. But I caught from so many different stretches, I didn't know where to go. Yeah, <laughs> you see, and it, a lot of that is then just gut instinct. For all I know, those places I caught from early on that I didn't go back to again could have been even better. Yeah. And so I've, I've got lots of places to go and revisit. Yeah. Um, I've got places that I think I should revisit because they must be there. They weren't there when I was there, but they, they've got to be there. You know? Yeah. Um, and the, the river changes every year. There's a couple of spots that were ace three or four years ago and, and literally 
detached part there now, and that's it. The poems yeah. are just gone. They're somewhere else now. Um, but it, that it's it's good piece of advice for anybody who wants to get into perch fishing on the rivers, canals, anything. Go and find them early. They don't move far. You find them September, October time, and they'll be yours to catch till the river shuts. They don't go yeah. very far. So, are you a perch angler or a carp angler then? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that of all the questions you sort of said we might talk about, this is the one that really stumped me. I, I was talking to my wife earlier about it. She said, well, what, what are you going to say? What kind of angler are you? I said, well, I'm a really jammy angler. <laughs> really lucky. Like, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, but I, one thing I would say is I hope I'm neither... I think I'll take the, the, the question as a bit of validation, really, that I'm, I'm not a, I don't want to be in the box. I don't want to be pigeonholed as anything because I might decide that I just want to go fishing for tuna for the rest of my life, and, but I still wouldn't call myself a tuna angler. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I, I, still, I'd still like going fishing. I've done a lot of this recently. Just going to a commercial fishery, sitting on a quorum chair and watching the tip fly around 50 times with God yeah. knows what in the end. Yeah. Look, if, if I had more time to fish, I would do that more than going carp fishing or barbell fishing or perch fishing, 100%. If I had more time, I would fish just for any, literally, whatever comes along, just fishing places with loads and loads of fishing. Because I enjoy the process of tweaking and trying. I just change the hook. I change the 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 hook paint. I, I, the match fishing appeals to me, apart from the competitive thing. Yeah. I I, I, I do like competition. I'm quite competitive, but I'm only really competitive with myself with my fishing. I don't ever mm. compare what I do with anybody else. It's not yeah. everybody's life's different. Different contexts, different venues, different postcodes. It's yeah. not. You can't compare your results with anybody else's. Even if you're fishing the same place, you just can't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and what kind of angler am I? The obsessed one. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, the, I, I quite like that over, over the years, there are a lot of species that I haven't really given that much time and attention to. And I think as time wears on, I will. Purely because of my sort of peer group. Yeah, um, and then there there are loads of fish that you you can't you don't really understand the appeal of them until you see one. Mm-hmm. Like big brain, just didn't get it until I accidentally whilst carp fishing caught a sixteen pounder. Yeah, and I just looked at it. And I was like, what? <laughs> wow, you know, like yeah. it's the proper when they get to over double figures, they're an amazing fish to look at. And same thing with the perch, really. Now, I know uh, Rob Hall would come with us and until he actually had a three and a half pound perch in his hands. He just didn't get it. No. But once he'd got one and seen the, the difference between a two and one that big, uh, he was like, oh, but when, 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 let's go again. When are we going again? When are we yeah. going? Can you get me a ticket? Come on, let's go again. <laughs> you know, and uh, I think there are. Crucians is a good example. You know, until I saw one, 
over two pound. I just thought, well, why would you want to fish for a fish? It's got like no mouth and it's really hard to catch, and there's hardly <laughs> any of them. You know, they're like it's like a hen's tooth that you're fishing yeah. for. But then when you see one, and you understand that. You know, they don't grow on trees. There's a very yeah. few venues with them in and very few venues with big ones in. And true ones. Yeah, and that the process, the journey of how you get there to catch one that big, I get that. I, yeah. I, I completely get that. I think if Perch, you're saying about Rob and the Perch now, I think if Perch got to like 20, 30 pound, no one would fish for anything else. <laughs> you know, imagine if they got that big. Imagine the lure fishing. Imagine well, I, you know. My my favourite freshwater fish is the is the rough. Yeah. Because they're they're like a perch but better. Because they're sort of spotty and uh, the perch are pretty. You know, each one's pretty unique. In, if you see them in the flesh, but I'm sure if you kind of looked at my Instagram feed, you'd be like, is this the same one? Because <laughs> like they, they all sort of blend blur into each other. Yeah. Whereas I think if rough got to three pound and four pound and five pound and eight pound like perch do in Holland, yeah, uh, I think they'd just absolutely blow you away. Yeah. Like those big rats, you know, they're like a work of art, aren't they? Yeah. So I yeah, remember a, a twenty pound perch. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I'd I remember for, in the I'd winter. for a three though. Three yeah, <laughs> I sent you a picture of that rough I caught in the winter, and you, uh, you like, I was like, mate, you're catching all these lice, like perch and that all the time. There's like, you've got albums and waiting to go onto Instagram that I've already seen, and I'll send you a picture of the rough, and you're like, mate, I'm jealous. That's a huge <laughs> rough. Like, <laughs> for real, for yeah, real, brilliant. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I haven't caught a rough for probably about I, I now I almost feel I feel guilty catching one. They're like I, I hold them in such a high regard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sad, that, isn't it? But um, yeah, they're the rough are the best. The, the, yeah. the, a, a five pound rough would just be amazing. Like a work of yeah, That would be. <laughs> so you said about the um, you got a, a spot for match fishing, but maybe not the competitive side. Does that bring you back to how you started fishing then? Um, to some extent, yeah. I mean, we, I've got I've got two younger brothers, and we used, all used to go fishing together on the canal in Nosal in Staffordshire with my dad and my granddad. And it was you know a bamboo cane with a red tie pole rig on the end, catching whatever little yeah. perch, little gudgeon, little roach and stuff. Um, I mean, every now and again you might look a bream and it'd be like a pound, it'd be massive, you know, it's yeah. like the biggest fish ever. And then for for a long time, I just didn't didn't really latch into it, you know. But my dad fished matches. He used to fish him and um, my granddad. They used to fish all the river matches, you know, like sort of barbel chub type matches on the river. They used to get in a coach and go together. But it, it never really, I never really got the 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 bug for that. And then can remember, you know, I, 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 my middle brother, Mike, got into fishing a lot more than me. And he used to go to this lake in uh, over at Telford Way and catch these bream that were like proper, like you used to read about in the Fisherman's Handbook, they were proper bronze bream. Yeah. You know, like four, five, six pounders. And it's, yeah. that's massive, isn't it? Like, yeah. Bream, bream are like a big fish to look at because they're not yeah. very wide. They're like a big yeah. disc. 
I can remember my brother catching one, and for the first time, I was like, I need to go, for, I need to start coming fishing. That that looks a bit more like it. Yeah. And, you know, started buying little odds and sods and fishing. And I quite like the sort of feeder fishing, the in and out. You know, try yeah. that, that's not working, try that, that's not working. And we went to fish this place in Dorley in Telford. And my dad was like, we're going to catch some carp. We just, we'd been on holiday, and you know when you're in the airport, it's like, oh, you know, you young kid, and it was something to do on the plane. I bought yeah. an angler's mail. Yeah. And in the angler's mail, there was literally like every famous carp had been caught that week. Like, it, it, what was it, hardtail Gertie was in there, shoulders. Shoulders it is, was and is the best carp ever. Yeah. Probably for, for this one issue where I saw it, you know. <laughs> there was um, two tones in there, but when it weren't as big. Mm -hmm. There was a great big grass carp from Horton in there. And a, a few other notes, you know, if I, if, I'm, if I reel the names off, you'd know which fish I was on about. Yeah. And uh, there was this article in there with Andy Little making this paste, this out of this Richworth base mix and all that. And that was it. That, I'm, I'm doing that. We're going yeah. fishing and that's what we're going to do. And of course, I've got like a 10 foot feeder rod and, and another odd fog rod or something. We went to this lake and we're not equipped for it at all. Our looking mat was like a tablecloth. We just folded it up. Yeah. <laughs> this white tablecloth. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm fishing and the tip's just, you know, a car bites like on a feeder. Oh, yeah. I've just got. I'm playing this fish and I'm like, I'm that giddy and lost in the moment. I'm like backwinding and just letting it go and go and go and it's a massive bird's nest. Yeah. Like, oh no, yeah, I can't. My dad, somehow, he's an engineer, so he just figures stuff like that out really quickly. He just yeah. sorted it out and put it back in my hand, turned the backwind off and said, don't touch the reel, just reel it in. <laughs> we landed this carp, it was probably about, I'm going to say eight pounds. It was might not have been anything like that. I've got a picture yeah. of it somewhere. Yeah. Um, fishing but I, what I wanted to do was go go carp fishing 
Yeah. And then, you know, as soon as I, as soon as I got into sort of my mid-teens, when you could go on your own. Yeah. My, my mum used to drop me off at this lake at the bottom of the Reekin, Reekin Reservoir, just leave me there, and I'd just spend the whole day stalking, mainly, float yeah. fishing, stalking. And uh, quite often I'd catch absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing but I, I just loved it I still love it like, up there that's like my my thinking place yeah it, I mean I'm quite lucky that it's not, I've not had to go there for a long time but if I ever got anything a bit mad going on in my life I just go and sit in that one swim and look across the lake at the reek here and just take it all in you know yeah but uh, yeah I've got, I can't I can count the missed opportunities there's so many carp I should have caught that I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can't go back, can you? Well, I, I actually, you're lucky that you caught the first carp I hook, you hooked, I think. But I, I lost the first carp I ever hooked. I was fishing. I was good mates with um, the famous dart player, Bobby George's son. So oh. Bobby George's mansion was about 10 minutes from my house. I used to play football with his son. And he's, he had lakes in his garden. Um like match fishing lakes with mixture of sort of everything in it. And um, his son, Richard, used to fish and we used to go fishing there. If I was fishing with Richard, then I'd fish for free. But if not, then Bobby would still charge me. And uh, But I remember just literally, Bobby George had come down. He, he's almost sort of taught me how to sort of fish as well. I think because he didn't want me to use noddy tactics on, yeah. his, on his prize fish as well. And he'd be like, look, I was like, I want to fish on the island. And he's like, you don't need to fish on the island. I was like, I want to fish on the island. Like everyone else is fishing on the island. I'm only like 10 or something maybe. And uh, he's like, this is an island to the fish as well. This little margin down here. Just fish down here, Look, put it here. And just keep feeding maggots and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, eventually I was fishing with Richard and the float shot under. Different sort of shot under than what I was used to with the rud and the tench and things. And bang, I was like, oh my God, what is this? And obviously the clutch weren't set. and. Richard was going, pull the rod up high, like, hold your rod up high. My rod's down, like, almost in line with a fish, you know, completely wrong. And bang, it's gone. And, um, you know, it, it snapped, like, <laughs> I think it snapped above the float as well. Oh. So, like, you know, you get the stereotypical match carp that snaps someone up and you see the float coming in your swim. You think, oh, there's a carp in the swim. Like, it was one of them. I think we ended up catching it like, later on. But, <laughs> but losing it was enough to, for me to be like, wow. That was some like power that I've never felt before because I'd fished for ages and have avoided carp somehow. I don't know how I'd done it, but I just loved catching like the roach, the bream, the perch, everything. But I'd always avoided the carp, and um, until I had that moment when I felt that sheer power of that fish, and I thought I had no control over. It was probably about three pound, and you know, but I was on my Argos setup on my seat box, sitting there with probably gear all around and probably a push bike behind me, and. Yeah, I won't ever forget that. I won't ever forget my first fish, which was a perch, and I and I won't ever forget that fish either because that was like the first time I hooked a proper fish. Yeah, my, know, first, actually... my first fish was a perch. Yeah, we we um, I I had an interest in fishing, but never got round to doing it because I didn't know anyone. And then one of my good mates, dad's come home with some old fishing rods, which was my friend's granddad's. And they were proper old rods, you know, and it had a box of tackle. And the dad didn't really know what he was doing. We didn't, certainly didn't, but he knew enough to rig up a float rod. And he 
went to the tackle shop. We didn't have a net or nothing. Went to the tackle shop and bought some maggots and we took it in turns to cast out. He actually taught us to cast. It was actually a proper like fixed ball reel and uh, we were just catching these fish and like I remember between us going, right, when it's my go, I'm putting six maggots on because I'm going to put six maggots on because that's going to catch a bigger one, you know, and all it would do is deep hook the perch and you know you'd have to pull on but yeah we were just poaching some little lake which i later later found out to hold some clonking carp a later perch it's typical when i poached it when i didn't have a clue i never got caught as soon as i went over there with the carp gear it was like get off straight away you're not there's like 10 members of here and you have to be a local farmer but yeah i just always loved it it's something that i've i've dropped so many hobbies over over the years but Definitely not fishing. It never yeah, was just this, in my in my family. You know, everybody's like a, a golfer. Everyone's yep. a little mad keen golfer. You know, I, I was a mad keen golfer. One of my first jobs was like in a six weeks holiday. I used to work as a greenkeeper. Um, I that is one of the best jobs in the world because um, you stay outside the whole time. You know. Yeah. And I I've had the odd flirtation back with golf as a just a release valve it's not fishing is it yeah. but i'm the same with that you know if, I, if i'm going to go i want to play well so i'll go to the range like three times a week be, yeah. be on the putting green for hours so I, it, the same with me sort of me proper fishing yeah if i'm going to go i want to want to make it count i want it, I want yeah. it to be good um, yeah. you know the, this sort of fishing for for pleasure well i'll get pleasure from it being good yeah, no. yeah. I, I I used to work at a driving range when I was younger. I did work experience there at school. They made us go somewhere, and I just wanted to be somewhere local. And there's a driving range around a corner, so I got that. And um, like when I first turned up, they had the proper buggy. I used to just like ragging that around, and everyone tinging balls at me constantly. Like bang, that was close. And then that little buggy broke, and uh, I was like, oh, that's a shame. And I got a little Saturday job there, and that, and. Um, and then they were like, oh, we've got a new buggy today. I was like, oh, what is it? An automatic Astra. And I was about like, it was just an Astra that they'd put like metal like shields at <laughs> the window. And I was just, he was like, be careful with the flags when you're going around and reverse it straight out at like silly speeds, like bowled over at the, the first flag. And then I used to rag that around, just picking up all the balls and absolutely loved it, you know. And then I don't know how, but I ended up working on a, a tomato picking farm like a slave. My, <laughs> my, dad, my dad said like I was 12 years old legal age to work then was 13 but he was like look we'll get you um we'll get you a, a, a job at the tomato farm just go down there and say you're 13. I was all right so i went down there i was like i'm 13 years old and like i look young now do you know i looked even younger then <laughs> it's like proper slave labor and uh and so i worked there after school i used to walk there um from school walk there do a couple of hours and the old man would pick me up from work from his work and then we'd go home have dinner and that and then i'd bike up there on a saturday and do like a full like summer's day in a greenhouse it was horrible i wanted a paper round but there was only one in the village and my mate had that so <laughs> yeah that was so i did that for like bugger all and they'd pay us like weekly in cash and it was about 20 to 25 quid and um you used to get paid on like the monday but i i knew that they did the wages on a saturday so i'd bike up there and knock on their front door like hello dry i just come to pick my wages but oh bloody hell matt's here because i knew on the sunday there was a boot sale around the corner and I'd go there and go and try and get gear, fishing gear, as cheap as I can. And I'd go up to people's stalls and be like, that's a really nice Sundridge reel. How much is that? And he's like, 
that's eight quid, man. I thought, I'm only getting like £25 a week, like eight quid. I was like, would you take like three quid for it or anything? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, eight quid. I said, all right, well, if you're still here at the end of the day, can I can I take it for like three quid? He's like, yeah, if you're still here. And I'd sit there and I'd just wait for like a whole day and like, oh, they're starting to pack up, it's still there. And people would go over and pick up the reel and be like, oh, that's nice. And I'd be like, please don't buy it, please don't buy it. And like, yeah, if it was still there, I'd go up the end with me three quid, like, is it right to take that reel now? And they'd be like, yeah, fair play, mate. <laughs> <laughs> But it's what you had to do to get the gear, you know. My dad didn't really understand. He wanted to help out. He had four kids, though, you know, and yeah. we didn't have loads of money. And uh, he didn't really understand because he weren't an angler how much fishing costs because it's not it's not cheap, you know. He used to sort me out with a bait and everything, and that was enough for me. Yeah. Like, a lot of times I'd go fishing and I'd only have two floats in my box. And if I lost them two floats, I had no more floats left, and I went there float fishing, and I was getting picked up at a time. So I'd go and just big bar and steal off of other old boys around the lake. You're right. I'd be like, "Hey, getting on?" And they'd be like, "It's a stereotypical one." Hey, getting on? Oh yeah, I've had a few. What about you? Yeah, I've had a few, but I've, I ain't got no floats left now. And they'd, you know, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, "Mate, come here. Like, bring your rod round here. Let me set you up." You know, and that's I think that's what they did for me, really. But yeah, put on, put on the charm, and you know, there weren't many anglers my age, really. I used to do the um, I used to do the the matches the junior matches it's just me and my pal like that was it just we're just fishing against each other so but yeah no it's, it's great and it's great to see like younger people now i don't know if you've seen it sort of on the venues you go to or on the rivers and that but there's definitely a lot more younger anglers out there and some really i walked around a, a day to get carp fishery the other week didn't end up fishing there but out of all the anglers around there most of them were like my age or a bit older or a bit younger hanging because they've got beard up in their bivy all night and then a young lad come down and he was like polite hello mate how you doing you've been fish like you know and you could tell straight away he knew exactly what he was doing he's probably the best angler on there you know there's 30 anglers on there this young kid come got himself in a little corner and then i ended up he ended up finding me or i found him on instagram and you know he had a 30 that night and i thought that kid that, that kid i said to my mate because we ended up going to another lake i said to him he'll be he's a good angler do you know and he said yeah i think he's probably the best one there and sure enough he, he went and banged out a massive one yeah. oh, I've, I've met a lot over the years you know the, these younger guys you just they've just got it whatever it is they just have it mm. and you know th there are lots of different versions of that you know you've got the ones who are real hungry to learn ask loads of questions and they, they pick it up like that you've got the ones who are like annoyingly in tune they don't know why they're doing what they're doing it just works and they can't even explain it to you it's just like yeah. an innate sense of knowing what to do and then you get the those anglers that are both and that's when you end up with an ellis brazier or, or a harry pardo you know these guys yeah. just they're like jedis yeah you, know, you watch them turn their hand to a species or a river or so then they've never been to it's just like how did you know to do that? And they can't tell you. You just do no. it. No. Yeah. And if you can surround yourself by people like that, then you're going to pick up yeah. bits and pieces on the way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm definitely like that. I'm such a sponge. And if, if I'll learn off somebody really quickly and then go away and make it my own, you know, sort of learn things like that in, in everything, whether it's fishing or work or whatever, you've always got to have mentors you know people who you, you, you 
look up to and, and you can bounce off and learn from. And, yeah. you know, if, if you're lucky enough to be able to go fishing with somebody who's just way better than everyone, <laughs> like yeah. you, then you're just going to get that. That's just, you know, regardless. Yeah. And you should never, ever, 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 ever be afraid to ask a stupid question. There aren't any. Yeah. So, a couple more sort of subjects to discuss with you and just ones that probably we'll discuss with everyone who comes on because we discussed it with Nick and it was a bit of a laugh so the first one is any fishing bloopers um, I've got I've got so many that I've probably got enough for a, a number of guests so I'll share one um, and hopefully you'll be able to think of of something but while you're thinking I'll tell you another one of mine out of the archives so I was fishing um, Ardley Reservoir so it's about 115 acre lake in, in Colchester in Essex and uh, there's about 100 carp in there at the time. Um, I was lucky and I, I grew up in Ardley so I walked around it an awful lot. I never had the bottle to fish it because it was just huge, you know. Some very well-known anglers come away from there thinking it's not worth it for the small stock or whatever. And I'd see them spawning and there's huge fish in there and you know, I thought one day I'll have a go. Anyway, I felt it was the right time. It was a fairly cheap night ticket. Went down there. Walked around it for about two weeks while I waited for the, I think I was waiting to get paid so I could afford the ticket. And they were just all migrating down one arm, which made it easier because this arm was like a few acres and, you know, I could forget about the 100 and saying the other way, just concentrating this bit in front of me. And um, they stayed there, put a bit of bait in and I had three on my first night out of like a hundred fish and the bailiff come around in the morning how'd you get on mate i said i had three last night he went what bream i went no carp he was like no you didn't you didn't have three carp i was like yeah yeah look, here's the photos mate and he was like mate people fish here all year and they don't have free fish and i was like well it's just you know like you said i said lucky mate that's all it is but anyway i was fishing down there you don't really ever see anyone else down there because people like a lot of lakes they put they go there with the best interest they put all they're all in for about a month and then they think it's not worth it and so I rarely saw anyone else down there. And, and at the time, I'd got into the stage, I was doing a night, I'd got into the stage of sleeping on my front. So at the moment, I sort of sleep in the fetal sort of position yeah. and the same every night. And uh, usually, like, the other opposite way to the missus, so I don't get a load of death breath in my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she don't watch none of this, so we can get away with it. Um, and, and I had a really awful bed chair that I, I got from... My mum bought me it when I left school because basically I couldn't be asked when I was at school. I got all right grades, but I just couldn't be asked. I wanted to do other things and she knew that I could do better. And she said, look, they're doing these after school like maths class, um, no, English classes. If you go to them all, then I'll buy you the bed chair because I was sleeping on the deck. Do you know, she, I was like, I really want a bed chair. So, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I did. And I did well in, in English. So, like, I thank her for that. But anyway, eventually it had its day, all the... All the all the elastic had gone on it and I was sleeping on my front on it because that's just how I was sleeping at the time and I get taken the night I think it was like I think I had that free fish hit and it was the week after I get taken the night and I'm it's so hot it was in like the was just before they spawned and I was sleeping on top of the bag and I get up and the rod's just pissing off and there's all weed around there and, I, and there's a big snag that I was fishing next to and I get up to the rod 
And because I've slept on my front, my both my arms were dead. You know when one <laughs> arm's dead and you pick it up and it's like the heaviest thing in the world. Both my arms were dead, so I'm swinging them. And they're just dead. And the alarm's just, the rod's coming round, it's pissing off line. I'm like trying to get, I don't know how to get any blood into these arms. And I gradually started to feel one and sort of got it on the rod. And then I was like picking the other hand up and putting it on the rod. What was that what would that have looked like? I know. Oh, mate, it would have been the funniest viral <laughs> clip ever if it was if there was any video footage of it. Man with two dead arms tried to strike a rod, and uh, eventually the adrenaline started kicking in that I need to get this fish, and it could be this you know massive unknown creature, and managed to manage to sort of get the blood to the hands and pick it up. But yeah, from the outside, if anyone was looking, then it would have been the most hilarious figure. It was hilarious for me afterwards. I landed the fish and just sat there just laughing you know I had no shoes on I don't think I was all silted up to my knees and I was just thinking I can't stick can't keep sleeping on my front because this is an issue but yeah that was that was brilliant <laughs> I, I, I've got a good one but like luckily for me nobody saw this happen but a few people saw the aftermath and it might, right. you know, they must have thought what have you been doing? Oh, it was on the Rob Hughes's Birchwood Syndicate Lake. It's not a very big lake at all. Um, but he does have a little boat on there. And you don't need to use the boat for any other reason than to go and get fish. Because there were loads of these little islands. And, you know, I'd never, ever needed the boat. Never saw any... You used to use the boat to smash the ice if you wanted to fish or to go and bait up on the island. But usually, you'd give your bait to Shoes and Shoes would do it for you because he didn't really want you going out in the boat. Yeah. Well, I was fishing this point swim and the, the boat was in the swim from, you know, where John or Robert left it there. And I'm just fishing. And I saw this fish shot and it was a bit, it was one of those casts where it was like, I thread the eye of a needle through there. I can, I can get bait there. I ain't got to move. Cause didn't really want to move where my rods were, but I thought I can't ignore that. So, you know, chucked it across, literally like kissed the bush that the, the fish were. And it, it was a good tight spot anyway, but yeah. I never thought about fishing it from there. You'd normally yeah. go in the, in the peg a bit further in. So put the rod there, you know, put it on the rest. And of course, you know, 20 minutes later, you just see that. Yeah. No beeps, nothing, the rods just, Complete. It's like a full test curve in the in the rest. Picked it up and I'm thinking, don't please, please don't go right. If it goes right, it goes around the back of this island. Yeah. Guess what happens? Kite straight wrong. And yeah. I feel my line grating on the clay. There was nothing really for it to get caught in. It was just grating on the clay. And of course, the the harder you pull, the more your line goes into the bank. Yeah. And eventually I can I can feel it kicking on the end, but I can't make any ground on it. So I thought I'll go out in the boat. It's just one of them little big sporty act things. Yeah, I know the ones, now, yeah. Bear in mind, I have at this point in my life I had never played a fish from a boat before. Yeah. Nobody had ever told me what it was supposed to do. No idea. And it is freezing. So I've got <laughs> I'm like the Michelin man. You know, million layers on, big winter jacket, all that. Jump in the boat. And the life jacket was like sort of like half on, half on <laughs> and I couldn't get it over all my clothes. So I'm like, I faffed about. Fish ain't going anywhere. So I'm, I'm in a rush, but not really in a rush. 
across a guy in the boat. And it, it, you know, anybody who's ever been out in a, in a boat to land a fish before, know what happens. You just spin around in circles. And I was just, because the boat was only little, so like a 1.8 metre thing. I was just spinning. Yeah. And eventually I figured out, okay, you've got to like sort of, if you get a wind to the fish, you've got to sort of zigzag to get to it. Yeah. So of course I think, right, what I need to do, I need to go past the island and then put pressure on the fish. So of course I did. But like I, I just didn't couldn't get my head around you know rowing and playing the fish at the same time. I just I yeah. just didn't know what to do. And like yeah, you know, kept spinning around in circles. Every every time I tried to net it, the boat would just drift further and further away on the wind. I must have been playing this poor fish out in the lake for a good twenty minutes, <laughs> making no progress whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, I thought, I can't land this. Every time I try and land it, the wind just blows me away from the fish. <laughs> of course, like now I know exactly what to do, but in the heat of the moment, I had no idea what to do. So I thought, I don't know, I'll just get out. I'll just, now I'm over on the other bank, I'll just get out of the boat. Yeah. So of course, the wind's drifting the boat into the reeds. Beautiful. But of course, the fish is not. Fish is still going the opposite direction. So I'm stood up in the boat and hearing like, it's like one of them, looking at yeah. this fish and thinking, well, this would have worked if I'd have sort of loosened the clutch or opened the bail arm or something, but I didn't. Yeah. I thought, I'll make that. And I'm sure if I'd got a pair of shorts on and a t-shirt, <laughs> I'd have made it really easy. But like I said, I was the Michelin yeah. man with big moon <laughs> boots on. And I've jumped, and of course I've just gone straight in the water, <laughs> up, completely up to my waist, stuck in the sun, oh, no. <laughs> and it's freeze. That is really. <laughs> I think by the time I finished, I had an innie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it weren't even a press stud. It was so cold, and of course because I've got all this stuff on, it weighs an absolute ton. I can't move. Yeah. But. I, I did manage to land the fish. I nearly lost the fish at the net because the boat kept drifting at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they shoved it away. I landed this fish, and of course, I you know, managed to unplug myself from the water, climb up on the bank. Um, so I, I walked around to go and get the unlucky mat and sort of come back around with the camera gear and everything. And this lad, Ollie's come, and he's just looked at me. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, I, I really didn't find it funny until Ollie was one of those, he's a proper Shropshire lad, you know, he, he sounds like he's from out the hills. Yeah. And it, the, the, just the way he looked at me, he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, was just, I, was in, I was in hysterics then because I thought, what I've just done was so stupid. <laughs> like, and now, I mean, luckily, I, I lived about 15 minutes away from the lake, so I was able to go out and get changed. But yeah. otherwise, I'd have been there for like another two nights, trying yeah. to dry out all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Dangerous too, when you think back. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, it, if it wasn't such a shallow lake, I would, I would have just waited for the fish to come out, I guess, or something like that. Yeah. Um, especially with there not being anybody there. Um. But uh, yeah, uh, that that was definitely not my one of my finer moments on the bank. Bit of a <laughs> calamity that one. Bit of a calamity. Good story though, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got um, 
not really a blooper, but I had a strange thing occur at Dorford the other week. Obviously, I went down there and fished. What, firstly, what a beautiful venue. Yeah, I can't, amazing. I, I, I have to go back there. Yeah, Ed's, um, Ed Matthews is an amazing job there. Oh, it's just fantastic. In the in the daytime, I see pretty much the stock of the lake, like you said to me. You said the first thing you see is a massive ghosty, and it's pretty much one of the first things I saw. I was on the island swim for the first day because there was two other lads on, and in the day we between us we were just trying to catch one in the day, but it it was like bread was poison to them. Do you know, I tried everything. I tried making it slowly sink in front of their face. I tried the only thing I couldn't couldn't get hold of and didn't take was worms i was digging around trying to find worms and it must be like a, an anti-worm area because there was no worms at all and, yeah, and it was funny Dorf, I... Dorford's full of purge about that big and that's yeah. what we if, if a worm as soon as it touches the water it gets eaten by one of them oh that makes me feel a bit better <laughs> yeah <laughs> but so i moved into the car park swim because i saw fish showing there the first night um, the fish in the daytime were just in one area, around the back of the island, just having a laugh, you know, just swimming around, not interested, not even worried that I'm there, you know, not even worried if I'm casting them, you know. Like you said, you cast at them and they circle back around and have a look what it was. It's ridiculous, but they don't want to eat it. It's just like, oh, what's that? And, <laughs> and, and we sort of figured out that they'd go down the back of the island and then, mate, you'd have a couple of takes and then eventually they'd come out into the what I'd call the bowl area and the car park swim is the perfect place to sort of pick them up. So the second night I did on there and I lost one in the night and I lost one for the most strange way. I, I got done by a rat. So what happened is, what happened is this, as, as, as you, I think I told you, you know, I was getting a lot of, um, there was a trailer in there at the time. So I was getting yeah. a lot of nuisance beeps and things. And I was sitting watching the rods and it got dark. I'd much rather sit there and just watch like the silhouette of what bits going on. And that night there wasn't a hatch, but they're just showing like mad, you know, um, not a hatch that I could see anyway. And it was just enjoying seeing them. Boff, even if I couldn't see them, I could, you'd see the ripples eventually. Yeah, yeah. You work out where they were. And I was watching this rat in the swim and it kept running across and it weren't bothering me. It was fine. I was just letting it do its thing. And it run along the front of the swim and, you know, I was fishing, Fairly slack, but not slack enough that, you know, sometimes they'd run through all your bobbins and did, 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 do all three rods. And it just jumped up onto the wooden ledge and it, it was going across my rods and it, it ran across and I could only just see it. And it got to the third rod and it went, did, 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 did. and I was like, ah, oh, you little bugger, like you finally ran into the, I knew you'd do it at some point, you know, and he scuttled right off and I thought, that's the last I'll probably see of him tonight. And uh, I was fishing on that, on that, third rod I was fishing locked up because it was like a snag that came into the it was almost yeah. like roots that grew out like a load of fingers and I was fishing quite close to that and uh, I, was, I was fishing locked up and it just went delivered and I thought oh, all right well he's gone and then it went dip did it and I was like I better give that a look so I got the head torch because it was dark shined it on and the rod tip was bent right round and I was like no it like it literally taken as that rat had run past um, and I couldn't, I didn't have like illuminated hangers or anything like that. Like, I was like, oh shit. So I just quickly got, and by the time I got there, I, I walked down the bank and it had already done me in a route. And I thought, that rat done me. So <laughs> if that, if I wasn't watching that rat, if I weren't sitting there watching the water, if I was sitting there watching, I don't know, Rick and Morty on Netflix, I probably would have jumped out and hit that. But because I was actually looking at my rods and what was going on, the rat Dorford is a bit strange. When, when me and Rob were there, I had something similar where the animals tricked me. 
in the night there were, there was some fish in this weed bed and the same sort of thing you know fishing locked up and, and expecting if I get one it's gonna I'm gonna have to reel in a weed bed. Yeah. This was before it opened, you know, there's hardly any weed in there now, is there? But at the time no, it was really bad. And um, there was these little sort of they weren't tufted ducks, I don't know what they were. They were Are they them baby grebes? Yeah, they like a grebes? little dab chick thing. Yeah, they were diving they're on the like... spot and giving me all these beeps. And in, I, I can only think that one of those little chicks got caught in the line. And I, I kind of knew, because I'd seen him out there, I was watching it happen. And then it sort of looked like a full blown take. So I, yeah. got, I you know, sort of got, got up off my bed chair. I, I, as I got to the rods, there were four carp, literally under my rod tips, on some bait we'd put in when we were stalking and that in the daytime. And yeah. the, the, I, in the head torch, I just seen them all. And of course, yeah. they, they saw me. Yeah. <laughs> big, big bald dude comes storming out across the wall of the bar. <laughs> and they went like, <laughs> in all different directions. Um, Two of them went straight into the weed bed when the line was like in the weed bed. So this yeah. carried on. Yeah. And I'm like, have I got one of them? Where am I? You know what I mean? Like, where am I fishing? What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, it was just this weird sequence of events that had happened. Then four yeah. fish, they were just mugging me off in the side. I hadn't got bait there. But yeah. you'd have thought, the way the rod went off, you'd have thought that I hooked one of these ones that I'd spooked off. It's yeah. so weird. Such a weird yeah. place. Them, them, them little birds you were saying, I didn't know where they were and I ended up like, chatting to a mate. I was like, mate, there's these weird birds. They make a funny noise as well. Yeah, They're like yeah. woody woodpecker. Like, <laughs> I said, what do they look? He said, what do they look like? I said, it looked like a, a grebe that's been shrunk. He was like, mate, there is a species of bird called a, a little grebe. And I went, all right. He goes, Google it. I Googled it and that's exactly what it looked like. So I think they're actually called little grebe. Oh, I, I just caught them It's a bit like, yeah. you know, like different types of weed that really like... Yeah. People just call it, oh, it's onion weed. Well, is it? Yeah. No one really knows, do we? It just becomes <laughs> what people call it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or cabbages. Cabbages. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> What's it actually called? Yeah. Oh, there's this stuff. And I'm like, it is just like kelp. Yeah. I don't actually know what it is or what it's supposed to be, but it like it's the only lake I've ever fished where they've got like, there's, there's fields of it in the summer. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> so one of the other questions that i wanted to ask obviously i see on your instagram you're you're a bit of a foodie i would say you like your nice food and your nice drinks and beers and hours well, i was just gonna pieces. say that i reckon I've, I've had that i've been sat looking at that for ages yeah <laughs> <laughs> what um what's it like on the bank side do you i can't uh, i could never see you eating a pot noodle mate well, you'd be surprised, Matt, because, like I said before, when I when I go fishing, that's what I'm there to do, and I, I have um, have this little sort of routine that I follow when I when I go to Baden, for instance, because they run this thing twelve till twelve. I can't get round it. Um, you know, they look after me up there. I'm a sort of friend of the family as it were good been going there for so long get on really well with the, the people who own and run the place but they, they don't like rope swims off for me or let me down any earlier than anybody else it's a, it's a fair playing field yeah. and um, so I, I, I always I've got, there's a little bit of superstition to this but there's some sort of truth to it as well 
there's this little shop in Penkridge I'll stop in to buy just just something to drink. And it's so you know, I've got my tea, my coffee, all that sort of thing, but it's just some other stuff to drink. I've always bought one of them big sugar-free monster energy drinks. Yeah. Honestly. Because I don't drink them all the time. When I drink one of them, you, uh, have you ever seen the film Lucy? Yeah. Honestly, every single fibre of my tiny little brain starts working. Yeah. When I have one of those drinks and I go and have a walk around the lake. So I'll literally, yeah. I'll save this drink until I'm driving down to whichever lake I'm going to. And I'll pretty much drink it before I get there. And there's some like neck in it, all that. <laughs> honestly, yeah. I, I completely zone. It's like ethereal. Yeah. Honestly, nothing else in the world matters. I don't think about anything else going on other than finding carp and yeah. watching them and trying to figure out what's going on. So, quite often, for the first day, the first sort of 12 hours of the trip, I've got to take food with me that doesn't need preparation. Pot noodles too much. I've got warm yeah. water up for that. Yeah. So I'll take that around. It could be anything. It's usually something really random, not a real meal, just something yeah. to tie me over, like a grenade bar or something. Not really that um, fuss. It's just to stop me falling over. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm a, I've got a big bloke. I, I can't get, sort of get around not eating nothing. Yeah. But then, once I'm actually fishing, I'm in this swim and I get all sorted and everything, I, I don't tend to put my bivvy or anything like that up until it's nearly dark. Everything else will be out. I'll get my bed out so I've got something to sit on. I sort of set my life up as I want it, but I don't put my bivvy up until it gets dark, just in case yeah. I change my mind. It's just easier yeah. to, to move. And I've always been like that. I, 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 even if it's chucking it down, I'd rather just fish out the, the back of the car yeah. or, you know, fish off the barrow and not, not, not use it all. And then once I, I do a lot of what what Ellis would call bait and leave. Yeah. I always think when, when you're on these day ticket lakes, you, you can't pre-bait really, but you can within the time you're there. For the most yeah. part, those fish at that on those lakes down there, they associate bait with being fished for. Because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 50 weeks in a year, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. So even if you can pay the swim and leave it with no lines in it for six hours, it's enough time for them to come in and have a look. And, you know, on venues where there are, where there are a few fish, they'll have a, they'll have a little scoff. And then you, can, yeah. you can see, you know, I'll stand on the, on the far margin and the water's crystal clear there. I'll just watch them, thinking... If I had a line across there now, no way that would happen. So I'll watch, and again, I'm, you know, I'm waiting to put my rods in for dark, my bivvy up, and then I'll get something nice out to eat. Yeah. It's usually a steak or a big pork chop or, or, or something like that. But there won't be any accompaniments, though. No. It'll just be like 12 ounces of steak. Ca Caveman, yeah, I'll just eat it with my hands, and that'll be that. Because I don't, yeah. eat, eat, even on the lakes where, like there, everything's in the car, right behind you. I still fish like it isn't. 
Yeah. And I've, from loads of different venues that I've fished over the years, uh, you know, pot noodles, your pal, because it's so light. Yeah. This is meal. And I'll always have them in my bag and I'll never eat them. They're always there, though. Yeah. yeah. There'll always be two, like, curry-flavoured ones that I just never eat. Because <laughs> I, I always forget about... Most of my sessions are 24 hours. I forget about day two. Yeah. So I've got me... I'll get me energy drink and a little snack to get me through the day and I'll have my big chunk of meat on the night time. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh... <laughs> just, just just caffeine today then is it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I must have like a, a thing I must have been really unkind to rats or something because the other day at the lake I've been fishing and doing the bailiffing on they they provide food and that there as well so it's easy for me I don't need to take any food with me just take some water and, and just I have one meal that they bring around and if I want breakfast they'll do that as well so but that I was, I had the lake to myself, and my mum's other half was going to come down and fish the night as well. And I thought, Do you know what? I, was, I stopped in a petrol station because I needed some fuel, and I picked up a pack of Maryland cookies, ninety nine p, like on offer. I thought, Do you know what? I fancy them. I'm going to take them and I've, you know, I'll have them anyway. He end, didn't end up getting down there till late, so I sat and just helped him like set up and everything like that. And we just chatted, and then it got really cold, like it has been. And I was like, "Mate, I'm too cold to be sitting out here. I'm going to retreat to the to the bag." So I got back to the to the slip bag, and I thought I could eat them cookies, but I'm gonna I'm gonna save them till tomorrow because I'm on here till midday. There'll be a little treat in the morning or whatever with a hot drink. And um, I'm sitting in my bed chair. And I thought I can smell them cookies. I'm sure I can <laughs> smell them cookies. I, I don't know if it's just because I want them or, yeah, yeah. or not. And I was like. <clears throat> No, I can't go sleep. I think I could smell the cookies. Like I'm, I'm gonna have to check the bag. So I only had like a thick plastic, what I'd call a thick plastic bag, not one that breaks as soon as you walk yeah, out of the yeah, shop, yeah. but like one that's gonna do you a couple of trips. And I put my hand rummage around in it. I thought, there's my bottle of Volvic. There's nothing else in there. I was like, I must have put the cookies in me, in me actual tackle bag, my rucksack. So I've got my head torch on, and I was like, I can definitely smell these cookies now. And I look under there, and they've been in the bag, the rats pulled out the the bag of cookies, shredded the bag of cookies open and eating all of them bar two. And I was only I was only gone out to swim like I weren't even gone out to swim long because I was coming back to do bits. I thought they must have been taking them. There was no way they were eating them there, but they just rinsed me and I thought there was two left. My missus went, You didn't eat them, did you? I was like, Yeah. I was like, no. They went. I thought, do you know what? Go the, and find them. The exact same thing happened to me on a feature like years ago. Back when the, the Heron's Point at Farlow, so you had the pub on the end of the point. Well, I yeah. was there doing a feature with um, Ellis and Bob, and me and Ellis was up, were on Heron's Point. And, you know, we spent most of the night in the war playing pool. And um, all I got to eat was a pack of biscuits. <clears throat> I was going to have half for my dinner and half like the next day. Well, Ellis had cooked me up like a bacon sarnie or something for dinner because we were, you know, have a couple of pints in there at this point. You gotta eat something. Like, oh, right then. When when I woke up in the morning, I was like, oh, God, I'm starving. You know, woke up in the morning, it's absolutely freezing, horrible cold. You know, like one of the coldest periods I've ever spent on the bank. I've yeah. got their biscuits and I'll have a cup of tea and that'd be just nice. And the rats, the, the pack 
was in the perfect shape, like it was still full. <laughs> the whole thing was still intact. Yeah. Of course, I picked it, it just folded. <laughs> so, <laughs> huh? You know, like, all fall ahead at the bottom. Nope. Yeah. Just eaten. Or literally, like, eaten the bottom circle off. And yeah. then just took them out one by one after. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. That, that, the, the, I, I had my boilies out as well. They'd gone past the boilies that night and thought, you know what, I don't want fish food. I want I want people food, you know. Them cookies, are, they're, they're <laughs> so I love some of that. Well, you know, if you've uh, ever tried to catch mice and stuff, you have to be really particular with what bait you give up. You know? Yeah, like peanut butters yeah. and, and chocolates and things. and Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they they done me that night. And they, they come back as well, that's the thing. They came back because it was one of them cold nights as well. Come back for the other some... two. Yeah, no, yeah, but I reckon they did. But what had happened, my mum always being my mum, I don't see her that often, but she sent down and she goes, I know Matt, he'll go fishing and he won't bring no food with him. So bring. I've, she cooked up a bacon and sausage roll in some foil and sent it down with her other half. So he got there, he goes, oh, look, your mum brought this down. Do you want it? I was like, yeah, go on. So I ate this thing and folded up the foil and put it in my pocket. And uh, they come back in the night because I took that jacket off because I couldn't sleep in it, put a hoodie on. And again, it was a brutal cold night. You know, the ones where you think, I'm in a bit of a pickle tonight, I think, if I get out, you know. And when I woke up in the morning and put stuff away, they'd got in the pocket. Don't, luckily, not damaged the pocket because it was my new jacket, the new Neoteric jacket that I love. And they'd gone in the pocket, t- gently took the foil packet out and shredded it into four million pieces, you know, just to get the remaining crumbs. They were proper hungry. So I was... I spoke to the owner in the morning. I said, "Mate, the rats have become a problem." You know, so. <laughs> need some best control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, man, we got you got to live with them. I can't be angry, do you know, because they to... live there. It's, it's just yeah. another obstacle in the way of my fishing. But Matt, I think it's pretty much us coming to an end now. It's getting late now. It's been really good having you on, mate. Definitely, we're going to get out for a perch session, but also we've got to speak to rob and get some dates booked in for the river season that's far fast approaching to yeah, get you absolutely. on them rud mate we're gonna do that we're gonna have a good rud session yeah they, they look amazing yeah you know, I, 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 I saw a rud this year it was a pound and three quarters i was just blown away that's not rud rud are like the things that big that are just a you know nightmare they can yeah. make bait, like live bait fishing difficult for a yeah. And then you see a great big one like that, it's like, what? Yeah. Wow. And the colour of them as well, yeah. you know, they're just crazy, mate. And, and they're not going to be there forever. Like, you know, all the fishing, you know, the drains are full of otters and stuff. And, you know, they're not going to be there forever. Yeah, they're not going to be there forever in that size. I, I definitely, so. with, with a lot of um, river fish, you know, I, I definitely subscribe to that. They will not be there forever. And if you if you if you're lucky enough to find something special like that, go and make hay because you know it's, it's, I've had it with venues close by to me, some nature reserves and stuff, and the fish is just not there anymore, and it is mm. devastating because you know you grow up your whole life knowing there's a sort of secret fish in that lake. Yeah. And you go up there one year, the cormorants have completely decimated their food source and they're, they're all gone. And yeah. it's just, ah. Uh... Yeah, definitely got to uh, 
make hay while the sun shines on, on them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah. The rats eat the <laughs> they start eating <laughs> the rat. <laughs> but yeah, mate, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, uh, I hope you've enjoyed it and that. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start editing up and we'll get it live. And yeah, we've got a few more guests lined up, so should be good. And uh, a few others that I've planned to approach as well. So we're putting out the we're putting out the benchmarks for these episodes and yeah the feedback's good and the view time not only just on youtube obviously we're on um apple podcast and spotify it tends to be a bit delayed on apple because they like to check everything whereas spotify just let any old rubbish on and uh but <laughs> but the view time is really good and and i've had i didn't i thought about just doing it on youtube but then so many people have said oh I stuck it on like ellis he's like i'm not on really the youtube thing but while i'm at work if you've got it on spotify you got a link i sent it and he said it's fantastic mate like really enjoyed it and i can actually the um the stats that you get back on like the the spotify and the apple you know they tell you how long people listen to it and out of you know i think within like the first week there was something like 47 listeners or something but they'd listen to 98 percent of the podcasts do you know Whereas on YouTube, you get your stats back and most of my retention is like, I don't know, a 15-minute video. You might get four minutes retention where yeah. people just skip through to see the big one, yeah. you know, or whatever. Or, they do the fast forward to see the action. Yeah, so so I'm really, it's not about stats, but it's nice because you get a good, uh, you get some good feedback about are people listening to it all? Do you know, if I was only if I was putting together, what we're going two hours twenty minutes now. If I'm putting the, together a two hour and twenty minute podcast, and I'm we're, we're taking two hour and twenty minutes out of our time plus another five six hours for me to edit it up, I'm not going to bother. If people are only going to not interested, are only going to listen to it for ten minutes. Do you know, it's just not no. it's not viable. Do you know, as much as I enjoy it and 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 you enjoy it and the people who do, do you know, if they're not going to listen to it all, then isn't not much point. But well, I raise this glass to everybody yeah. who's sat and listened to me and Matt for all this period of time. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs>